subject of countless shoutouts and callouts, Hey Nerd's one-woman marketing team, and an unmatched supervillain aficionado. That's right, the fan, the myth, the legend, Shelby Edison joins Eli and Caroline for their 10th episode spectacular. Shelby's a diehard Megamind stan, Caroline's an expert on the Tinkerbell extended universe, Eli wants to be the first non-binary mayor of Halloween Town, and all three are total nerds. Okay. I think it's recording now. Okay. Cool. Awesome. All right. Okay. Three... Two, one, hater. Who knows? You know what? It's we're trying so it, hard. We're right doing now. our best. You know. Yeah. Okay, so we're having uh, a fun. My time. name is Caroline, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. My name is Eli. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And for our second week of awe guest, um, <laughs> we have the lovely Shelby Edison. Yeah. Introduce yourself. Hel- what do you do? Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Shelby. Pronouns are she, hers, hers. Um, and I am an avid listener and fan of Hey Nerd. I've been called out multiple times on here. Um, and I have never been on a podcast before, so I don't know how to speak on podcasts. So it's going to be an adventure for everyone involved. To be fair, until roughly a month ago, we had never been on a podcast either. So you know what? This is a learning experience for everybody. But also, Shelby, that's a lie. You have been on a podcast. We did that English project freshman year that we everyone hated. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that, I, I think I just blocked that out of my memory because I hate... <laughs> it wasn't a podcast that I liked. Um, let's say I've never been on a podcast when I actually listened to podcasts and enjoyed listening to them. There we go. Mm-hmm. There we go. Awesome. Yeah, so, you know... Uh, keen listeners of our podcast may have noticed that we call out someone named Shelby multiple times uh, in our episodes. This is that person here. She is the 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 man, the myth, the legend, Shelby Edison. Um, Yay! So yeah. Yes, the person right, and who I believe... constantly retweets my statements about this podcast. Yeah, she's like our entire unpaid marketing team. <laughs> totally um, unpaid, unbribed, just cause... my own accord. I really love promoting your podcast yeah she receives absolutely no uh, compensation financial or otherwise for uh for doing that and we are eternally grateful especially because the one half of our duo who actually has social media doesn't fucking post <laughs> shit on there <laughs> i think i messed up my lipstick that's fine well um, i've been called out so uh-huh. you know that's how it goes sometimes yeah uh so this week, uh, I believe the plan is for our weekly funny anecdotes to be replaced by Shelby kind of commenting mm-hmm. on what what she what she likes from our past episodes, because, you know, hearing positive feedback is always nice. Or what she wants yeah. to interject if there was something that she was like, I have an opinion on what you said, but I can't say yeah. it because you're not here. Hot takes. Hot takes. <laughs> there were, I swear there were many times during the D&D episode, because I think that one I was, because I am in your D&D campaign, I was called out relentlessly for the stupid mm-hmm. things I've done there, like the, um, is Thea mad at me? Um, check out the first episode of Hey Nerd if you're wondering what I'm referring to. Um, yep. But also listening to that did give me a lot of insight into uh, how to play D&D in a way where Eli's not going to screw over everything I do, um, and I just kept that in mind. Um, but there's also, um, in relation to the D&D 
And when we were talking, that bird-like conversation you guys are having, I just want to share a funny anecdote that happened during the last time we were playing D&D, um, because I really want to know what bird-like refers to in the context of the prophecy yeah. in our D&D campaign. Um, so he's kind so... of the spearhead of that movement. Yeah. yeah. And I was so desperate to know what was going on that I, in the middle of a scene in which the prophecy was not mentioned, birds were not mentioned, there was no reason that my character Fidelia should have been thinking of it, I made Fidelia look out the window and see a bird, and then I asked um, Eli if I rolled a nat 20, if I could find out what bird-like means, um, and it was probably the best moment of my life. Um, Though I did not roll the nat 20, uh, my parents were watching me, uh, like, laughing at me and taking photos of me as I tried to pull this, um, and it did not work, but I tried really hard, and I think that's what matters. I made other people laugh because it was so ridiculous. Um, yeah, I gotta I, say, I gotta, um, yeah. I've, I've heard of uh, Dungeon Masters imposing, like, okay, if you roll three nat 20s in a row, then I'll let you do this insane thing. I have never once heard of a player being like, I'm going to impose this, like, 5% chance on myself <laughs> to see if I can do this. Because we also, Shelby and I had a plan going into that for my character to figure out what it was, which was just, like, doing a skill check with some bardic inspiration at it, which was a lot more likely to go well. We can do that well, next I, I time. I would say, also, the, the caveat was, you guys, as soon as Shelby said that, you guys tried to backtrack and be like, no, 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 we want to just make a regular skill check. And then I was like, no, no matter who rolls it, if you don't roll a nat 20, you are not getting it. Because there's no reason for you to just have an epiphany from the gods. Especially- I still contend that my wisdom-based character would be able to figure out a fucking riddle. But we're well, getting a little bit off track, as is- I would argue that as it's a wisdom and not an intelligence-based um, character, the riddle argument falls short. Because this is purely- I will say this is purely, like, a knowledge thing. It's not, like, picking stuff mm. up, it's just knowledge. Okay. Well, my chaotic Still. character just wants to find <laughs> stuff out by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yep. that's fun. That's how it goes yeah. sometimes. So, yeah. There's a uh, dog right outside leave. my room. <laughs> Your puppy. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. He can't come in, though. No. He's a loud oh, boy. All right. He is quite We've loud gotten sidetracked from our sidetrack, so now Woo! we can do a double backflip into this mm -hmm. week's topic. Wait, we skipped something. <laughs> yeah, Brendan question. There we go. Um, <laughs> was about to bring that up, and then Pepper happened. Um, as Pepper tends to do. Uh, so I believe it's my turn to mm -hmm. ask the Brendan question this week if my calculations are correct. And by calculations, I mean dividing by two. Um, <laughs> if my pattern recognition process did pan out correctly. Yeah. Uh, so the Brendan question for this week is, if you were an animated movie right now, which one would you be and why? Cool. I mean, I, I guess I'll go first while well, Shelby thinks, because I thought about this earlier. Um, I have two answers, because no one's ever heard of one of them, and so, you know, mm -hmm. um, the first one is, it's a short film from Short of the Week called Scavengers, um, it, I don't actually know if it originated on Short of the Week, I think it was on Cartoon Network for a time, but it's, like, this really intense sci-fi world-buildy film that at the end kind of melts into a very, like, 
poignant, melancholy human film. Because the whole plot mm-hmm. is, like, these two people are going on this, like, crazy... Have been stranded on this um, terrestrial planet, and they're going on this crazy adventure to then get, like, this orb that essentially lets them go back in their own memories and remember a time when they weren't stranded and were surrounded by people who weren't the other person. Um, and so it's, like, very beautifully animated and also very sad. But I know that maybe, like, five people have ever watched that film from our audience base. Well, actually, not mm. even that many. I think maybe just Ellis, because uh, we watched Yeah, because in... five is the majority of our audience yeah. base. We have roughly six listeners, according to Anchor FM. So, yep. yeah. And then the other one is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, because it's a love letter to comics, and man, if I'm not a nerd, <laughs> that's it. That's my whole reasoning. I mean, it's a beautiful yeah. film. I feel like yeah. I could talk. I will probably it talk is. for a long time about it later. Mm-hmm. Ign- ignore that. Um, but yeah, Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse is the more, like, well-known answer of mine. Okay. Um, Shelby, you still thinking, or should I go? I, I got one. Um, so. Okay. I'm gonna twit, everyone thinks I'm gonna say a certain movie, but I'm not gonna say that movie, because I'm gonna talk about that movie for, on, for a while later. Um, uh, but right now I'm feeling very Ratatouille, uh, which is probably the second thing people guess I would say, because... Ah, that movie's just, and I intend the pun here, chef's kiss. Um, But I just made some, like, boxed mac and cheese and then had some snap peas with it, and I just felt like a sophisticated chef who made a multi-component lunch um, that took, like, five minutes, and so I'm feeling, like, ratatouille today. Very proud of you. Nice. Um, Okay. I guess, I don't know why, but right now I'm just kind of feeling secret of Kells. Uh, just because that's a very good animated movie um, that's set in, like, ancient Ireland about, like, just kind of like a little forest creature and a little boy who's raised in a monastery that's constantly, like, under attack from Vikings and what have you. And it's just really well animated, and the characters are really compelling, and it also just speaks to kind of love of, like, ancient mythology and flashbacks and ruins and whatnot that I have. Uh, if you put, like, a flashback to another historical period in whatever work you produce, I will probably like it very much. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Secret of Kells. Good movie. Oh, All boy. Right. And I guess now that means it's time for our graceless segue into the topic. I which mean, is... I think it's probably more graceful this week because we pretty... messed up the order of things. <laughs> I yeah. think it's pretty graceful. All right. Our graceful segue. What a plot twist. Um into the main topic, which is animated films. Oh, it was in the Brendan question. What a surprise. Yeah, we were on theme. Mm -hmm. Amazingly. I mean... Yeah. It's Maybe this is going to be a track record, maybe not. Who knows? Maybe. Who knows? Well... (laughs) Uh, okay. So yeah, we're going to talk... I guess we can start talking with our uh, own personal histories with kind of animated films. Uh, Do you guys remember what your first like, cartoon was, or, like, what your first animated movie was? It's probably, well, I don't remember off the top of my head, because, like, we grew up in an age where a lot of Disney films had already come out. Like, Disney, Mm -hmm. we came out post-Disney's Renaissance, which tells you a lot about how long Disney's been around. Um, so I think that it could have been any Disney film, but I would like to imagine that it was The Lion King, which is, like, kind of a dark film to be your first animated film, but, um... It's Hamlet. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. It's 
Yeah, I I say that because I want it to be that because that remains one of my favorite movies of all time, and I have a Hakuna Matata poster that's just like gracelessly shoved in my closet. Um, nice. That I can just barely see right now, but yeah, I think probably Disney films in general were kind of the animated films that I remember the most from when I was small. Or yeah, mm-hmm. um. My parents have told me that my first Disney movie, so I'm not sure if it was necessarily my first animated movie, but I'm going to say that it probably was. Uh, my first Disney movie was Finding Nemo, and I saw it when I was three, and I was very afraid of the sharks and of the anglerfish scene, which are both two fears that I stand by. Um, <laughs> like, the anglerfish scene had no right to be that fuck-off scary. Like, <laughs> it is. It's like, oh, it's a cute little light teeth. Um, <laughs> and apparently I just did not like Finding Nemo for a very long time afterwards. Um, so, like, now I like it, but, yeah, that was my first, you know, animated movie was probably that, and I was probably scarred for, like, a significant amount of time. I can't Vibes. remember what my first animated movie, kind of like Eli, like, it was just, I remember I grew up on, like, watching, like, Disney movies, especially Disney princess movies. I remember just mm-hmm. kind of... Every, like, when I want to watch a movie, kind of just be, like, going through all the princess movies and, like, picking one from there. Um, but I clearly remember probably when I, like, really got into, like, the art of animated movies was um, it was watching Monsters University. Clearly remember that. That Pixar prequel to Monsters, Inc. Um, and watching it because I was a weird child and I watched things for fun with the director's commentary on as, like, a 10-year-old. Um, and I think that just describes a lot of how I ended up like this. Um, but I remember just watching and they were talking about um, just, like, all the different departments working at Pixar. And I was like, whoa, like, people made this movie. Um, clearly remember that. And that, my first, like, dream job was I wanted to work at Pixar. Um, and then later I learned that if you want to work at an animation studios, you kind of have to know how to draw. And I didn't. Uh, so then I kind of moved away from that dream. But it was, I was such a diehard Pixar fan as a little kid. Mm-hmm. You could be a yeah. Pixar screenwriter. You could. Yeah. But wouldn't you kind of have to, like, sell your script? And I feel like that's, you have to be, like, a little higher on. Because they have people who write, like, a lot for Disney, Pixar. That's fair. So. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. All right. So, I have personal history out of the way. Um, so, I guess before we get into the big main topic, uh, are there any other movies that we want to kind of shout out or highlight or mention before we get into it? I mean, I imagine that we'll probably cycle back around movies. I would say that there's definitely, like, a distinction in my mind between like, theatrical releases and then made-for-TV movies, because I have a very specific Mm -hmm. love for made-for-TV movies, and I'm talking about all of the animated Scooby-Doo films. Like, I grew up, um, I grew up watching those, and I specifically remember my cousin and I, when we would go to my grandparents' farm, we would watch, like, Scooby-Doo films, and they were great. It's, like, the flat animated Scooby-Doo. Um, they're all really, they're not great films, but they hold a very special place in my heart. Um, mm. especially the the one with the magic school, because it's just like, of course. Oh yeah, they went in every possible that. direction with that film. There's like a banshee scene, um, which is completely incongruous, but you know, you gotta love when a hot woman just turns into a screaming monster, and then they never talk about it again. <laughs> Yeah, I think definitely one of the cartoon characters I had a crush on was, like, uh, Thorn from the Hex Girls from the Scooby-Doo movies, um, which I stand by. She was the one with, like, the black-red hair. 
Mm. Um, distinctly remember that. Uh, I the shows movies that I watched when I went over to friends' houses were typically the Barbie movies because we didn't have any at my house and I wanted oh to watch them all like so bad. Uh, and I'm like looking back at them now because some of them are on Netflix and like they hold up. Good shit. Good shit. I grew up on those. Wow. That's just through, that's like how I learned about ballet through Disney. Not Disney. It's not Disney. It's Barbie movies because they had like Swan like Lake hell. and it was like to the music. Like that was freaking cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another movie I just want to shout out is Emperor's New Groove, which is a fantastic movie, the height of comedy, and people don't talk about it enough. But everyone who does talk about it loves it. So I guess it's yeah. a like, two-sided sword. Knife? I don't know. It's a the cult expression. classic. Mm-hmm. The, the Double-edged the, sword. Yeah. Double-edged sword, yeah. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another... I think, like, a darker movie that I was, I got into a little more recently when I saw it on Netflix was, um, Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, cause, like, that is such a heavy movie to be a kid's movie, um, what with the themes of, like, religion and corruption and lust and, like, you know, ableism and whatnot, and then they also just throw in a George Costanza-style gargoyle for the kids, um, (laughs) And I will say this, uh, I think that, like, in their effort to make it more marketable to kids, they kind of undercut the heavier themes, like, with the gargoyles, but there is a musical version of it, um, the full tape of which is on YouTube. I'm pretty sure it's not a bootleg? I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's got Patrick Page as Frollo, and, (laughs) um, it's just generally, like, a great interpretation, uh, and yeah, just, like, church music and, like, heavy themes and good animation good shit good shit yes i think i will probably well we may bring this up later and it may have its own episode but i have a special love for um all the stop motion animated halloween movies like that is that's its whole own category but um i've i don't think and maybe it's just because i watched the ones that like got popular, but I've never seen, like, a stop-motion animated Halloween movie that I didn't like, because Mm. there's something about, like, that genre knows itself so well that it's consistently on the mark, which is such Mm -hmm. a fun thing to then be able to, like, experience. Um, yeah. Good. Yeah, Corpse Bride is so good. Corpse Bride's great. Um, Nightmare Before Christmas, you can watch from Halloween, from, like, beginning of October to the end of December, and it's totally acceptable. Um, to talk about mm-hmm. it, which is really a fantastic mm-hmm. marketing ploy, um, but just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say that my life did get a little, like, marginally more difficult after Coraline came out, because, you know, <laughs> um, like, it's a dumb joke to make, it's the obvious joke to make, but I was, like, seven when it happened, so everyone made the joke. Um, and yeah, and we actually did have, like, we do have, like, a little, um, we have a hall closet, and then there's a secret closet within the hall closet, for some reason. Uh, my brother and I were convinced that, like, the Bell Dam lived there. She didn't. It was just, it was just, like, lawn chairs and shit. But, yeah. It was, like, a spooky movie. It's very good. But, mm-hmm. yeah, my, I did kind of face it with some irritation for a little while after it came out. I, I just, to shout another genre of animated movies I love, which I think everyone is probably waiting for me to say, um, is supervillain um, animated movies. I hold just such a mm-hmm. special place in my heart. 
I think, um, like, in this genre, obviously Megamind, which is my true love, is that movie. I love it so much. I love it so much I wrote a college essay supplement on it. Um, so a college admissions officer is going to read me talking about <laughs> Megamind, and that's just a thing that's going to happen um, in this year. Um, but also in that genre, I also like Despicable Me um, falls in there, too. Mm-hmm. And there's other ones um, that I can't think of, but those are, like, definitely the two that that like weird kind of world where there's just something slightly off and it's that there are superheroes and supervillains i think it's just a really cool concept well i think yeah. what's so also like i was gonna say what's go funny about the despicable me universe is that there aren't really superheroes there's just like villains and regular people which is makes me <laughs> even better <laughs> I love the, the only thing I love more than a world where they're just superheroes and supervillains is where it's just supervillains and not villains. Villains are scary. Supervillains are just cool. Like they're people who want to do evil but just like fireworks too much to actually pull off a successful plan. Um and so I really love the despicable me. Just that kind of style of just wacky supervillains. Just mm-hmm. well, wait, hold kidding. on, hold on, hold on. I just remembered a detail from the Despicable Me cinematic universe. Um, they do have super spies that go after the yeah. They have spies. That's how that's how Gru meets Lucy. Yes, I believe her true. name is uh, in the sequel, and they end up uh, getting together and teaming up. I think um, I'm finding the most of the ideas I've ever had come directly from Megamind or Despicable Me. Um, like yeah. they can be the inspiration is very clearly drawn from there. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I would say well, are are Despicable Me and uh, Megamind from DreamWorks? Are they both DreamWorks, or is one of them, or is Despicable Me just Sony? Despicable Dis- Me is Universal. Yeah, mm-hmm. it yeah it's Universal Studio. I think it in partnership with Sony, but it's a Universal Studios thing. That's okay. who gets the credit for it. I was gonna say, yeah. it is very clear that they're par- like, they're very similar movies, but they're parroting two different genres, because Despicable mm-hmm. Me is, like, parroting the James Bond, um, and then mm-hmm. Megamind is parroting all of comics that have ever existed. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, it's, tell me when I can go off on my Megamind tangent, um, because I'm holding it in, because once I stop, I gotta run through it. Um, once I start, I gotta run through <laughs> it. So just let me know when I can <laughs> do that. I mean... Alright, I think maybe we talk a little bit, I guess. I want to talk a little bit about, like, DreamWorks in general and kind of, like, the other animation studios that have come up kind of mm-hmm. in opposition to Disney that are a lot more, like, kind of sarcastic and playful um, mm-hmm. and, like, kind of go to challenge everything that Disney does but still, like, make that kind of Disney money, um, which is something I respect DreamWorks for quite a bit. Um, make that Disney cash, though. <laughs> yeah, like... Watching stuff from DreamWorks like Shrek or like um, Road to El Dorado is just like so fun to me because mm-hmm. um, like Disney's great and there's this like, I mean, there's like corporate greed behind a lot of what Disney does because obviously, but there's obviously. also like a sense of earnestness to it. And then mm-hmm. with like DreamWorks movies or like with these kind of other um, competing animation studios, that is all like stripped away and it's just like a sarcastic kind of fun joyride of a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and The Road to El Dorado is great because it's based off of a series of live-action movies from the 40s um, that were basically about these two dudes just going on trips to exotic locations and being funny dumbasses together, um, which is great. And Fantastic. I will link to the video that taught me that in the, the timestamp doc, which you can find in the episode description. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say I really I appreciate DreamWorks a lot. Um, one, because... 
Okay, so this is a fact about my father that I learned last year, but Shrek is one of his favorite movies, and I can see why, because it's a movie that I think I've watched- I think I probably watched it for the first time when I was, like, four, and it was funny, and mm-hmm. I watched it last year, and it was equally funny, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. because that's- it's such, like, an on- it hits the mark perfectly for, like, what you want a parody movie to be, um, mm-hmm. and it's just really funny, but I was gonna say, I- one of I think my favorite animated franchise is another DreamWorks film, which is How to Train Your Dragon, because of course it mm. is, because of course, yeah, yeah it tracks. Um, but that's a franchise, and I don't, I haven't made up my mind about the Hidden World, but it held strong for a really long time through a lot of things, um, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's so good. Every like, I think if you take any frame from the first two How to Train Your Dragon movies, it's like yes, pu- beautiful. Like, it's just yeah. everything in that is so well put together. And yeah. I think there's To some... clarify... Oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying, there's something about, like, animated... I think you always think of, like, animated films just kind of being, like, the Disney princess or kind of the fairy tale because of, like, 2D Disney films. Um, but I think there's mm-hmm. something so fantastic when a, when an animated film um, takes on a different genre, like fantasy or, um, like, an action mm-hmm. and can do it so well, especially because they get to create every single part of that world from scratch. Um, and I mm-hmm. think getting to see, especially with fantasy, it just kind of makes sense that they're able to world build just every single detail. Um, and it, mm-hmm. I think animated fantasy just comes across so beautifully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when movies are, like, super stylistic, um, like with Lilo and Stitch, like, just rewatching that, a lot of that movie holds the fuck up. Um, and, like, it's a really beautiful film as well and i can't speak to like how um like native hawaiians are portrayed but it does seem like a much more like first off realistic depictions of bodies and of like you know general like human life and shit um and it's a really moving movie uh, a dreamworks movie that i really like that kind of departs from the like irreverent stuff is um prince of egypt i believe mm-hmm. uh that was dreamworks right mm-hmm. uh because yep. that is like that was DreamWorks consecutive with Shrek. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, the two... Okay, there's this really funny story that mm-hmm. you can see on the internet where it's, like, DreamWorks was producing Shrek and the Prince of Egypt at the same time, and so, like, all the good, well-behaved animators were on the Prince of Egypt, and if you messed up on the Prince of Egypt, you got sent to Shrek. <laughs> so <laughs> Shrek was, like, the naughty kids pile. That was, like, the naughty kids, which I think explains why Shrek is the way that it is, but it's so funny to me that, like, Shrek was the punishment, and now Shrek is arguably, like, the more well-known movie that became its whole own franchise of things. Definitely. Yeah, like, Prince of Egypt was for sure, like, the Oscar bait one, but, like, again, church music, religious music in general just, like, pulls me in hook, line, and sinker, so I really vibe with it. And just, again, knowing that, like, it was released by the same studio that made Shrek at roughly the same time as Shrek is just very funny That's, to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, like, I love the proof that Shrek was made by bastards for <laughs> bastards. Um... Um, Shrek is exactly what it says on the tin. (laughs) (laughs) Did DreamWorks make the Madagascar movies? Was that DreamWorks? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I I also have a special love for Penguins the Madagascar. I don't really care about the, Mm. like, Madagascar movies, but that Penguin spinoff, I really, really loved. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't, I haven't watched it in years. Like, I was little when I watched it, but there was something about it that it was so sarcastic and i think that's part of it like it's just kind of making fun of 
a lot of Madagascar and like children's animated movies, and I just found it very entertaining. Did you yes. ever watch the okay. Penguins TV show? There was like a Madagascar TV yeah, show that I followed the Penguins it. and King it Julian, so and it was so funny. <laughs> I don't remember great. any of the plot points, but I was just like, this is such a wild thing to just be like, yeah, this is the show. It's the Penguins and King Julian and their lives, and we're not going to uh-huh. acknowledge the existence of the main cast. I, who cares about the main cast? I just want the freaking Penguin. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. so good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, fun fact about me. Uh, number one, I didn't see the first Madagascar movie. I believe I only saw the second movie for like the first time. Uh, and I also never saw the first Lion King um, until relatively recently. When I was a kid, I had seen a Lion King movie. It's not the one you're thinking of. It was Lion King one and a half, which is <laughs> but that's arguably like I love the Lion King one and a half. I love the Lion King. I love the Lion King one and a half more. It's such an insane <laughs> movie. <laughs> I it's haven't so watched good. it. I, I'm so mad. When I was little, little story here, I saw an advertisement for Lion King 1 and a half, and my little sarcastic self was like, I want to watch that. My mom was like, well, that's not supposed to be very good. Let's watch, like, a, like, a new, like, probably pretty Disney movie. And, like, I get where my mom was coming from, but I still haven't watched it, and I really feel like I should. It's the There's bastard a- movie. Timon and Pumbaa are responsible for literally every single event yes. in The Lion King. It's so great! <laughs> it's also that they do, like, the Mystery Science Theater 3000 thing which is also super funny that's where i learned about mystery science theater 3000 like i saw that bit and i was like huh that's kind of funny and then i discovered mystery science theater 3000 later and i was like oh that's what they were parodying Mm -hmm. like again i encounter parodies of things far like much longer before i discover any of the actual things also um so yeah i think one scene from that movie that was really foundational to my sense of humor was the scene where it's just uh timon walking away from his mom and like them yelling back and forth at each other as he gets progressively further and further away and it's like i can't express that scene in words that give it justice but it is so funny and i would like i had a vcr copy of it and i would just go back and watch that scene and i was i yeah, I loved that film. It Timon's was... mom is just so great. Like, there, Timon's a meerkat, and he's like, "I'm gonna make a skylight in the tunnels because that's a good idea." And it like, <laughs> the tunnels collapse because they're not. It's not. There's no structural integrity to that. Um, and his mom's like, "Oh wow, a skylight! <laughs> it's so great." It's okay, so we're watching this movie. As well, I gotta really watch this movie. It's so. Funny. Yeah, and then like. It's the boys frantically trying to, like, uh, stop Simba and Nala from getting together and just, like, in a, like inadvertently making them get together more. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the Love reason that. that Simba and Nala do the tumble thing and then, like, that whole scene, it's because Timon and Pumbaa were trying to do a tripwire so that they would separate and instead <laughs> it's just... <laughs> I, I Isn't that like also a- the scene like they parody like the Simba running scene, and but it's Timon <laughs> running. No, it's Puma running, and then Timon like but he's running in actual slow motion in real time, and you just see Timon streak across. The sky. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's like the Lion King is already like Tim uh, Timon and Puma are self aware in the Lion King, but they're kind of the only two self aware characters. So when you make them the main characters, you get a very self aware movie that is just hilarious from start to finish. <laughs> It's so great! Yeah. Oh man, I just... Yeah, the reason that the whole, like, bowing thing happens at Simba's baptism (laughs) is canonically because, uh, Pumbaa farted and then everyone just collapsed. (laughs) And then you hear, like, the whisperings of the animals being like, oh, the guys behind us are bowing, I guess we gotta bow. (laughs) Yeah! 
I just gotta there are some things I wish I had come up with the idea for. And that's kind mm-hmm. of one of them. Like yeah. I wish. I wish it's, Oh, it's so fun to just watch that movie and be like, This is insane. Yeah. Also, Timon and Pumbaa are present for the I just can't wait to be king sequence where everyone's like stomping around making a bunch of noise. They're in their apartment like banging on the ceiling with the broom like, shut the fuck up! <laughs> and then Timon, or no, Pumbaa causes the collapse because he's like someone, he accidentally spears one of the animals with his tusks and then causes a giant collapse at the end of I just can't wait to be king. That's really mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. Oh, there's also like, okay... Um, We're just gonna a, go point a, by point through the plot of Lion King one and a half. <laughs> there's just one more thing I want to mention that, like, I still, like, Disney did a thing and then they went back and they're like, oh, we're gonna make commentary on it. But that very, like, the scene from when Scar is singing his song where you see, like, the outlines of the hyenas and they're marching and it's like, oh, yeah. That imagery, you see, like, Timon and Pumbaa make commentary on that imagery and I was like, yeah, they're sneaking it's along, and then self-aware. I think Timon goes, this doesn't look like Riverdance, Pumbaa. <laughs> I, I've um, got to love a self-aware animated movie. I think one of my mm-hmm. new, um, in Emperor's New Groove, there's at the end, when, like, um, when Cusco and Pacha get back to the palace and they're chasing Kronk and Yzma, um, and you can, and you see, like, there's a map, like, when they're running, like, the little map marks are on the ground below them, and it's going, and then all of a sudden there's a thunderstorm, like, a singular thunderstorm, just for Yzma and Kronk, and they, like, get shot down. Anyway, so they, so Cusco and Pacha get to the palace, and, um, Yzma and Kronk are there, and they're like, how is this possible? And Kronk pulls out a map and looks at it and goes, yeah, it really doesn't make sense. And they just, and I, there's so many moments like that, and I really just makes my heart happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think animation's fun, because you can put all of those little background gags, like, in mm-hmm. kind of wherever, and just, like, make those little self-aware jokes. And I think it just doesn't, there's stuff in animation that just doesn't translate to live action really well. Because mm-hmm. um, it's like, you can be more expressive, you can be, like, a lot more, there's a lot of more, like, room for, like, more motion and, like, kind of general drama, and then with, like, live action, you just kind of lose all that. Um, you can yeah. also, yeah. in animation, you can make things that in real life would be terrifying, like, mm-hmm. um, like, Emperor's New Group, you're turning someone into a llama. If that was live action, it would be a horror movie, but because it's animated and you can control how the llama looks, it's, like, good. And, like, Megamind, if Megamind was live action, it'd be terrifying because of Megamind's mega head, um, but in animation, it's, like, chill. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also like another thing and this this does have to do with the time, but the entirety of rubber hose animation, that's mm-hmm. you can real life that would look creepy. Um I yeah. because it's like the I mean, limbs look like if a human limb did that, it mm, but I love rubber hose animation cuz it's such like a fun animation style that's completely like it untranslatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they did make a horror game about rubber hose animated characters with uh, Bendy and the Ink Machine, so... That's true. But, yeah. So, yeah, and I think, They also like, made Cuphead and Mugman, so... Which is just is frustrating. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna just, like, one final thing about uh, self-aware animation and live-action. Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a fucking awesome movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a little bit mad at my dad because when I first got, like, my little side shape haircut, um... I did some dramatic makeup that's different than the dramatic makeup I'm wearing right now, so it was, like, red lipstick and, like, funky eyeshadow, and my hair was a little bit over my face, and I walked into the kitchen, and my dad was like, you look like the, uh, what's the, uh, femme fatale from Who Named Roger Rabbit? And I was like, did, did you just com- 
Did you just compare me to, to Jessica Rabbit, Dad? Um, I should note, I was also wearing a button-down and a red blazer at the time, so I'm not fully sure how that tracks, but, um... Jessica Rabbit. Yeah. I had no idea that my dad was that culturally aware. Uh, he typically, like, he would probably have to ask me, like, who Alex Trebek was. Like, yeah, but, you know, culturally significant and a very cool movie, Mm -hmm. um, that I generally like. Yeah, Yeah. the one other movie in that style that I've seen where it's, like, the blended live act- I mean, there are a couple, but one that's kind of similar is the- I think it's called Looney Tunes World Tour or something, but it's, like, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck go on, like, an adventure with real-life actual humans- um, and that movie's notable because it completely ruined my perception of the Mona Lisa, and so when I saw the actual Mona Lisa, I was like, well, this is disappointing. Because in the movie, the Mona Lisa's, like, five times the actual size, and they get up right next to it, because, mm-hmm. you know, the Looney Tunes, they can jump into paintings, and it's an insane film. Um, but then I saw the actual Mona Lisa, and I was like, well, nah. Yeah. yeah. So, to clarify, you're not talking about Space Jam. <laughs> No, there's Which is like the a, other movie that does that. There's a different one called Looney Tunes World Tour, I think. Let me actually another, find it. Another movie you're making me think of, one of my all-time favorite movies. I have a lot of all-time favorite movies, I've learned. Um, but is Enchanted, that Disney movie where it starts in animation and then it goes into like mm-hmm. New York and then mm-hmm. it go and the people just like jump from like the animation into it's really i love that movie so much yeah um yeah sorry it's looney tunes back in action not looney tunes world tour but got it it's an insane film nice okay well now we've kind of i think talked ourselves out of it and shelby i know you want to get right into it so Uh megamind thoughts on it the real reason we brought shelby is so that she can tell us about megamind Mm -hmm. um i i um, just love the movie Megamind. Anyone who knows me in real life um, knows that I really love Megamind, and I, I've always liked the movie, but I think the last school year I kind of became a meme about it because I, I would intentionally mm-hmm. mention it um, once people start, playfully started making fun of me for talking about Megamind a lot. But Megamind is mm-hmm. truly my muse. I get so much inspiration um, from, like, I love writing villains and supervillains, and I think that all comes from Megamind, and there's so much. Eli, wait, have you seen Megamind? Because I don't want to spoil the movie if you haven't. Okay. I've not <laughs> seen Megamind, but I've also expressed the fact that I don't mind it being spoiled. I can't on good conscience do that. But I think it's a great movie because of how, A, Will Ferrell just messing up saying words on purpose to make Megamind's, like, diction is hilarious. Like, there's Spider and there's Shul, and it's just melancholy that's my favorite one instead of melancholy and just that is i think as a kid i watched it and just thought it was funny and i was like oh this is goofy and i think now i watch it and i'm like it's really really clever how they make just like they make him a super villain who is very very intelligent but is just so lame and then accidentally just like defeats the superhero and him just getting progressively more sad after that um just like i have nothing left in the city to trash and i i really have to say i love like the wholesome kind of villain where like their version of world domination is they take over city and sit in the mayor's office and like no one dies or anything it's still very tame but they yeah. are in control of stuff in, like, a comically evil way. Um, and the Doofenshmirtz model, yes. Exactly. Yes. Um, and, um, uh, what's his name? I Brad did not Pitt. know Megamind came out in 2010. Sorry, continue. Yeah. <laughs> um, Brad Pitt plays, like, voices the uh, Metro Man, who is the, um, like, 
stereotypical superhero and I think that Mm -hmm. casting is really funny not because like Brad Pitt does an amazing job as like the voice like he's fine but because afterwards you go oh my god they've got Brad Pitt to do this movie (laughs) and I think that was their intention there um it has a lot of good twists and turns at the end and I just that movie I I rewatched it this week and realized that I didn't make it in my head that I thought it was really good I truly think it's a fantastic movie that should be have 100% Rotten Tomatoes, and it doesn't. And I don't understand why that is. It still has like a 75 Rotten Tomatoes or something. I think it should have 100 because I think it's just a really, um, it's just a clever movie. And I think I just, yeah. I appreciate clever movies, and I like that it acts like the audience is not stupid and will understand what's going on. And it's a, yeah. chil- but it's also a children's movie, and I think finding movie that has both of those aspects is kind of rare. So I, I really yeah. enjoy that. So when did you first uh, happen upon Megamind? Were you like, was it when the movie first came out? Was it a little bit later? Like, how do you, how did you discover it? I think I came, my mom had seen it before me. And I don't know how that happened. Or maybe she didn't. I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it probably like two years after it came out. And I, mm-hmm. my mom was like, oh, here's a fun movie we could watch. And then I watched it then. Um, and then just proceeded to see it a bunch of times. Like at summer camp, they'd be like, we're playing Megamind for movie night. And it'd just be like, it was kind of the movie mm-hmm. that all ages could kind of watch. So I think through that, I kind of saw it a bunch. Um, and then I hadn't thought about it for a very long time. I guess I mentioned it, but really last summer I was taking a course in TV, create, like creating TV, and I had to give a pitch for a television show. And I came up with one about supervillains because, um, as you two will know, I've worked with supervillains and television shows in previously. So I was like, okay, I'll draw from that experience um, and was like, I need some inspiration. And Megamind was on Netflix and I rewatched it last summer and I was like, oh my God, this is just everything I want in life. And then I really just went into full Megamind nerd. My screensaver was Megamind for a point this year. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, cause I know that you're also in, or that at least you watch the Marvel movies and you like keep mm-hmm. up with that franchise. Love Marvel. And then I was gonna say, like, does your int- do you think your interests in them are like coinciding, or you just happen to be interested in both of these things? Um, really, the reason I'm into Marvel is because my mom loves Marvel, and we started mm. watching it together. Um, so, and I think it's it's kind of funny. I think me and my mom's style is like superheroes. I love Marvel movies, and I love the whole following everything. But I will not get as excited over watching like a Marvel movie as Megamind. And I think I just I'm kind of more like the campiness of like a supervillain who's not gonna actually kill anyone um and then you know Avengers people die and that's kind of sad so I like Megamind doesn't break my heart and that's always a Mm. good thing yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I mean spoiler alert the kids movie doesn't end tragically (laughs) no no it does I'm trying I was trying to think for a minute because there are some kids movies that are are very tragic yeah and Megamind is not one of them yeah 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 Nice. So, yes, I love Megamind, um, and I just like to share that on the world, and um, this is a captive audience um, listening to a podcast, so you got to hear me talk about Megamind audience. Please contact me on Twitter and tell me anything about Megamind you would like to talk about. I will have lengthy conversations about the art of the Megamind. (laughs) Yes. um, Yeah, this... uh, (laughs) Speaking of, like, stuff that happens on your Twitter, uh, so you did actually tweet... Eli, and specifically request that we discuss Megamind thing is, I have no meaningful- I saw it maybe, like, 
six years ago, uh, and Eli has never seen it, and so we were like, you know what, we're not gonna risk fucking this episode up, so we're just gonna bring on Shelby so she can talk about what she likes. Um, that thing, I, I totally tweeted that as a joke. Like, the John Mulaney one I was serious about. Um, Megamind, I totally said it's a joke, I did not think you would take it seriously. <laughs> we take our listener requests very seriously here at Haynard Productions, LLC. Um... <laughs> We're not an LLC. We don't have a copyright. It's fine. We don't, we're not a corporation. No, probably should get on that. Probably should talk to legal. And by Mm -hmm. legal, I mean my father. Um, (laughs) Talk to anchor.fm. Enable sponsorships. Mm -hmm. Blue Apron, we're still here. We're still waiting for your email. Like, come on, Blue Mm -hmm. Apron. Yeah. (laughs) Blue Apron, HelloFresh, really just anybody. We'll, DreamWorks we'll... Animation Studios, just to name yeah. a few. Mm-hmm. Just give us money. I want money. Please. Please. Yeah, Please I money. do. I think that it is, I would say, I don't watch a lot of, I haven't seen an animated superhero movie, but I do know that, like, even the ones that are purportedly serious can get insane and just be like, yeah, sure, this Mm-hmm. I think that um, animation and superhero movies were really made for each other because, of mm-hmm. course, like, you can never get the campiness and just, like, the wild things that happen in superhero movies in live action because live action is always, like, we're being dark and gritty and then in, in animation you can be like, yeah, sure, why not? Why mm-hmm. can't this happen? Um, and I guess with that I'll say in another superhero movie that I really love... Um, and I brought it up earlier, and we're back on it, is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I love that movie. It is yeah. so... Mm-hmm. The animation is so mm-hmm. beautiful. It's so pretty. It's so pretty. And I think it's also, like, looking at it and be- seeing, like, as someone... And I don't read a lot of Marvel comics because a lot of old Marvel comics are kind of, like, the coloring in them is really bad. And I will just say, like, Marvel has some bad coloring. I'm sure DC also has some bad coloring, but it's, like, it's not always that nice. But it is very cool watching that movie... And seeing, like, the comic cell, like, that art style of, like, the cells where you have, like, a slight offset between, like, the dark, um, the overlines, and then the, uh, coloration. And just also, it's such a cool movie, and the fact that each character has a different animation style is really fun, and Mm -hmm. I think that that's, like, one of the most interesting things in that movie is that you have competing animation styles on screen at the same time, which just makes it so much cooler to see, like, oh, wow these characters are animated differently because they're not from the same universe, which is very mm-hmm. fun. And I, yeah, something I really love in Into the Spider-Verse is how they use, like, the comic book onomatopoeias, like, the, like, I can't think of one now, like, boo! The bams, like, the pow, yeah, bam. Those, um, and they'll, like, show it across the screen, the, across the screen, and I just, like, that, I've never seen, like, a, I guess that you may see in, like, an animated, like, television show, but I've never seen, like, a full-length feature film someone do something mm-hmm. like that. And I was like, why has no one done anything like this? This was just made mm-hmm. to do something like this. I also love that they included Spider-Noir, because I happened across Spider-Noir, like, three years earlier, just on, like, a deep dive on the internet, and that is, that is one of the most insane choices that Marvel ever made. They were like, we're gonna make a whole alternate version of the Avengers set in the 40s, um, Spider-Man temporarily worked for a gang, 
his friend got eaten by the spider god. It's like the most insane thing. <laughs> yeah, Spider Noir, if you look up his story, it's crazy. It is somehow crazier than actual Spider Man with actual aliens because, you know, why not? Um, but I, it, I thought it was super cool because I got very excited seeing the trailer and being like, oh, Spider Noir is in this. Mm-hmm. All the heck yeah. People in that movie is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I also really appreciated the inclusion of Gwen Stacy because. Yeah, her. her Spider-Man arc is not appreciated enough, but I appreciate her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's all I have to say on the subject. We stand Gwen Stacy in this household. We stand yeah. Gwen Stacy. Nice. Yeah. But I think it's also, that, that movie, I I have to commend it, and I've said this like five times, I'll say it again, because it really is like a love letter to the comic book franchise, which is something that I think a lot of superhero movies shy away from. I think a lot of superhero movies try to kind of pretend that they don't come from comics and they don't come from this very specific like world and this lineage of comic book creators and I think the fact that um Marvel decided to go in a completely opposite direction and really be very honest about where they came from and kind of the comic book roots was super admirable and it resulted in a film that 100% deserved its uh Academy Award for Best Animated Feature Film. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Did y'all ever watch the Tinkerbell movies when you were little? Did I watch I... them? Of course I did. <laughs> yes! Okay. I think I watched it more. I, wa- I actually only saw the movie once, but I had the art book for, like, the art of Pixie Hollow, because I used to want, like, art books for things, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So I've, I've been involved with the Tinkerbell franchise. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, both of you nerds better get ready to buckle up, because not only have I seen the first movie, I've seen, I think, every single movie in the Tinkerbell extended (laughs) cinematic universe, Um, and I've also read the books. Not the art books, the literal books set in Pixie Hollow that- There are books? Like, full chapter books. There are full chapter books across, like, multiple different arcs. It was kind of like the, um, the, like, Rainbow Fairy series, with, like, different kind of- you know, fairies doing different things, except for Tinkerbell, it was great. I would go to the library and, like, check out a bunch of those books, or I would go to gymnastics, and there would be, like, a kid with those books, and I would just borrow them and read them before my lesson. Um, so yeah, Tinkerbell holds a special place in my heart for a lot of reasons, but I do very much love the Tinkerbell movies. Mm -hmm. Um, because they're just, they're so cute, and I like that it's just kind of an opportunity to explore this very specific, like, part of Neverland and of Peter Pan that's, like, for sure wasn't ever thought about in the original movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of things weren't considered for the original Peter Pan movie. Um, But, like, just seeing that deep dive into that world and that culture was, like, super cool, and I love it. They're very pretty movies. Um, Like, all the character designs are super great. Uh, And, yeah, I just generally love the cast of characters. It's very nice. Mm -hmm. I don't really remember a lot of what the movies were about, um, because it's been a while. I remember there were a bunch, like, in between. I can remember, like, the first one, and then I remember there was the pirate fairy. Very yes. clearly remember that one, because it, like, tied into, like, a, a, I almost said Harry Potter. I meant Peter Pan arc, like, it completely Yeah, it ex- doesn't one of the movies explain why the crocodile ticks? Like, yeah, one of yeah. the Tinkerbell movies doesn't, it that has, has the explanation for why the crocodile it. ticks. Yeah, they, like, trick the baby, uh, it's the, um, Oh, wait, no. So in the pirate movie, all of their, like, abilities get mixed up. So I think at that point, Rosetta is the one with the animal abilities instead of Fawn. And so Rosetta 
ends up like being imprinted on by the tiny baby crocodile. Oh my god, he's so cute. And then cute. somehow or another he ends up eating the alarm clock. Um, which is very funny. It's also James Hook's origin story. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is pretty great. And yeah, I really I remember really liking the one where um Tinkerbell found out that she had a twin. Uh, that was in the winter, uh, section of Pixie Hollow instead of, like, the other seasons. And her name was Periwinkle. Mm-hmm. And she was really cute, and just seeing, like, the kind of winter world bit was really nice, and then we learn about Queen Clarion's ex, which was very interesting. Um, so yeah, the intricate world of, um, Tinkerbell. I think also, just, it does merit mentioning that I think I probably had a crush on Vidya, the purple one, when I was little. Um, she was a really so one, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 I liked Silvermist. That was my personal favorite. Silvermist, too. Silvermist was also very good. She was the water um, one. She had navy hair. It was pretty sick. Yeah. She was just so sweet. Yeah. I remember, yeah. Vidya and Silvermist. Mm-hmm. Uh, my two icons, yeah. truly. Yeah. I have to say, um, probably, and I think, Caroline, you and I mentioned this, but there are a bunch of animated characters who I've been like, huh. That's pers- that person definitely influenced me and my androgyny, and one of those people mm-hmm. is Peter Pan, because I <laughs> wanted to be Peter Pan so bad when I was younger, and I can't explain why. I, like, look at it now, and I'm like, who knows? But it was just, like, Peter Pan was the ideal version of myself for a period of time, because he's such a chaotic king, and I love him, and... You should, you should dress up as Peter Pan oh, for Halloween. Oh, no. Maybe. But yeah. yeah, just Peter Pan. I have... I I loved him so much. The movie was definitely problematic in a lot of mm-hmm. respects, but mm-hmm. Peter Pan is a character. I was like, this man, I want to be him so bad. Yeah. yeah. I will say, I'm going to go ahead and acknowledge that the movie had major problems with a lot of representation, including representation of Native Americans, but I did for sure have a crush on Tiger Lily as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember that one scene. Another reason I love animation is you can just do stuff like this where it's like, Captain Hook and, like, Peter Pan are, like, fighting, and then they go off a cliff, mm-hmm. and then, you know, Captain Hook, like, looks down and is like, oh, no, and then falls. Love. I see it in, like, mm-hmm. so much animation, but that one move, I love it so much. Um, it's, mm-hmm. I don't know why. It's just to make me happy, just have someone acknowledge that they are standing on nothing and then have a moment and then fall. Love it. Yeah. The classic Absolutely. Looney Tunes bit. The classic. Mm-hmm. That's all I yes. pretty much remember from Peter Pan. Definitely remember that, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else? Oh, yeah, the oh, Incredibles. Oh, sword fighting. That explains it. Oh. Yeah. Sword fighting. Sword fighting. I'm just gonna say sword fighting, that's another- that's probably one of the reasons why I wanted to be Peter Pan. I, I took fencing lessons as a kid. I wanted to be a sword fighter. Where- yeah. <laughs> wait, okay, wait. You- elaborate on what you're about to say, and then I will show you something. I was just gonna say that The Incredibles is probably one of my favorite movies. That's just a, like, yes, that's yeah. another one in my series of superhero movies. How did I forget to yes. say the um, Syndrome is fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. I really Syndrome for anyone who doesn't know is the villain in um, The Incredibles, and he has one of my favorite lines, which is "You sly dog, you caught me monologuing," um, because that was. I think, a defining factor of understanding how plot device worked for young me, mm-hmm. even though I didn't understand it. Um, uh, the Incredibles is also a really cool movie, I think, because it's not set in present day. It is very yeah. clearly set in, like, the 50s, 60s. Um, and I think, and they don't mention it. Like, it's not a period piece. It's just in, like, an alternate reality of yeah. the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. And I 
you can tell it's like the architecture and just kind of the clothing and everything. Um, mm-hmm. And I always thought it's just a very interesting choice that it's never explained and people kind of just realized it. Um, yeah. I just always... I think it's... And, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, like, Incredibles is another movie that is, like, very clearly... I always took it as, like, it's set in the 50s and 60s because that's right around when you start seeing, like, the rise of superheroes in general. Like, that's kind of when... And, I mean, you start seeing superheroes really right around the First World War, but that's kind of when they hit their stride in, like, a non-wartime environment was the 50s and 60s. Yeah. And so I, I appreciated that The Incredibles was like, yeah, mm-hmm. we're kind of at, like, the first height of superhero hero dumb. Was that also, like, around the time that um, comics, like, the comics code was really being enforced the first time? Or is there just, like... Because, hmm. like, that was... That's I think I remember, like, that's part, part of why the... Batman show from the 50s is so trash because uh, they couldn't really do shit. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Comics Code like, Authority was founded in 1954, so. Yeah, so that also ties into, like, why superheroes were being forced underground in The Incredibles because that was when, like, there was more backlash to it. Um, I think that's The Incredibles is a very self-aware movie in that, mm-hmm. it's like, the characters themselves aren't self-aware, but the movie itself is kind of self-aware mm-hmm. of where it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was also a bunch of promotional comics that kind of came out, I guess, a while ago that we had lying around the house for some reason. I'm not sure how we got them, but they were set in The Incredibles universe and kind of, like, explained kind of the circumstances leading up to Jack-Jack's birth and, like, um, like stuff they did kind of as a family like, as, you know, the kids kind of came into their powers and stuff. Uh, so that was all really fun. Um, and just generally, like, living lives as supers uh, in hiding, which is neat. Like, my whole family really likes both of the Incredibles movies. They're great. Mm-hmm. I do, too. Anyway, you were going to elaborate on the fencing lessons? Oh, yeah, fencing. I, I have, like, a fencing help. I showed, I, the, what I pulled in front, I don't know how you can see them because it's camera. I have two fencing rapiers just in my room. Not, like, the metal rapiers. I have two plastic fencing rapiers. Um, and then my dad and I both have fencing helmets, because I took fencing for, like, three years, and my dad and I would just practice fencing in, like, our driveway. You learn How new do things I not... every day about people you <laughs> okay. thought you knew. <laughs> Eli, number one, how have I not learned this, like, way before, like, way earlier? Two, how did I not <laughs> learn this before you told me you took magic lessons as a child? I feel like one of those should took... preceded the other. <laughs> I, I do have to say, yeah, I was I really into magic kid. when I, not yeah. like magic, the card game, like magician. I, like Eli wanted to be a magician as a kid, apparently. It, in, it was... in my school talent shows, I did magic to music. Yeah. I would say it's also, you probably learned about those like in the order that they happened, because I took magic in like my school's after school program, and then I switched to taking fencing in my school's after school program. So they kind of like overlapped for maybe a semester. Um, but I took magic, and then I took fencing. I don't know. I think I wanted to be, like, from the 1800s. I wanted to be, like, a swashbuckler who was also good at sleight hand. I wanted to be Will from Pirates of the Caribbean before I knew who Will from Pirates of the Caribbean was. That, there's a lot to go into there. Wow. (laughs) That I have all learned from, like, doing this podcast. This is great. This is so great. So Eli wants... Eli secretly wants to be a swashbuckler, I guess, is a thing that Well, we not learned. secretly. Now it's public information, Very apparently. Openly. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. No, I, week on Eli all of those things are true. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, <sighs> we've gotten way off topic now. That's we have true. gotten way I, off track. I think you, deservedly so. You did uh, start talking about Pixar, though, so I will talk about 
Ratatouille, yes. um, which I think of all the Pixar films has to be my favorite. Um, I really love Ratatouille. Um, and one of them is because they have a great villain. Um, this is just me. I judge movies off of villains, apparently. But Anton Ego is a great character. Um in that, like, his whole character design is very cool, and then his speech that he gives at the end, like, his food critic, and it's, like, read out loud, um, I cry every time. Like, there are, there will be literal tears, because it's such a beautiful commentary on what being an artist is, um, and I, I think at the root at that movie, and I think it really speaks to me as someone who creates things, um, it does talk a lot about what the role of an artist is in society, um, in a very clever way. And I think I, that's something I've always really appreciated from Ratatouille. Yeah. I also, what I really like about Ratatouille um, is, and this is, like, just me personally, it's the only film I've ever seen that, like, isn't French, but I think captures the essence of Paris really beautifully. Because, like, a lot of times you see American films about Paris that are just like, well, this is, eh. But it, we like, want it, them to go to the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, it captures, like, the essence of Paris without being, like, the stereotypical tourist film in a way that I think mm-hmm. is really beautiful and I have to commend Pixar for. Because it's, like, there's some... It, it is so, like, clearly Parisian, but it also doesn't feel like it's playing into a stereotype, which I think is really beautiful and heightens the overall film. Mm-hmm. Yes. Also, that scene where he's about to... Th- where uh, Luigi's about to throw Remy into the, wa- into the Seine is, like, that. that's a scene that gets me every time. Like, ooh, ooh, buddy. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, um... And it's just such a ridiculous movie. Like, it, it the, is. The, the, main, the protagonist's name is Linguini. Like, I, I feel like it has this really great message about art and what it means to be an artist, and then there's, like, a main protagonist <laughs> whose name is Linguini. Linguini <laughs> And he's just Alfredo. a guy. Linguini Alfredo. Yeah. That's very important to remember. Um, Even but- better. Yeah, I love Gusto's ghost throughout that movie. It's, a, it's mm-hmm. not his ghost, because it's, like, Remy's imagination, um, and how he could just it's pop a, in yeah. random times and, like, just has commentary on Remy's situation, and he's like, but I don't know what's going on, I'm only your imagination, and then just poofs out, and I'm like, that's fantastic. He's like, I don't know anything, but here's my advice. Um, yeah, yeah. We, had, we have the uh, Ratatouille brand cookbook TM. Uh, and also, it's a very small kids' cookbook that's, like, very clearly meant for small children, mm-hmm. so they got, like, French toast and whatnot in it. Um, and we also had the little Ratatouille leapfrog game. I don't know, did y'all have leapfrogs when you were little? They were, like, little oh, yeah. educational... Yeah! Little educational gaming consoles. Uh, so we had a little cartridge for that as well. So, yeah, fond memories of Ratatouille. We could make little games, like, I don't know, you got, like, making recipes and whatnot with your mm-hmm. little leapfrog. It was good. Yeah, speaking of games, and I meant to bring this up earlier, but then I got distracted. Uh, I had the, like, Tinkerbell game for the DS. I didn't watch the movies, but there was, like, a Tinkerbell DS game that I had for a time. I I don't know why I said that. I still have it. Um, But, yeah, so I just remember playing that, and that's, like, my exposure to the Tinkerbell universe mostly is that little Mm -hmm. game that I played for a time. Yeah, I think the one video game I had based on... One video game that I had that was, like, my own and not my brother's, period, Um, but also, like the animated film one that I had was a Disney princess game and it was like all of the princesses and I remember like when I was little getting stuck on the Snow White level and just like rage quitting and then I went back to it some years later and was like oh shit I was just going in the wrong direction I wait I know exactly what game you're talking on the screen about at the time um I was just walking the wrong way whoops uh so I, I think I ended up game. beating the game at some point but yeah that was my experience with uh animated movie video game spinoffs nice 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Disney princesses, um, I personally, uh, talking about a, a movie that's like 2D Disney. I don't know what like era it was made in, and I don't want to get it wrong, but Beauty and the Beast I really love, and um, I understand yeah, I think how it is problematic. And, you know, every single Disney princess movie is problematic, except Tangled. Tangled is fantastic, and Zachary Levi's in it, and so automatically fantastic. Um, but I really love Beauty and the Beast. Um, I think Belle has always been like the princess I resonated with of her being just like she's like like a little bookworm and she does like noble things and kind of just like does them and I always thought that was kind of cool but I always thought that movie was just really pretty and I think it's I really love baroque architecture and that might just be because Mm -hmm. of that but um just seeing Be Our Guest is like a great song and I think that of like Disney renaissance movies that one always stands out as one that I think of yeah, it's a good movie. I think one of my favorite parts of that is, I think when, like, the mob is storming the castle or something, I saw a screenshot online that was just, like, there's a little dresser in the corner with a little baseball bat ready to fuck someone up, <laughs> which is probably my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> He's ready to fucking go. Um, yeah, I think the Disney movie I watched the most as a kid was probably Aladdin. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, that was fun. Um, yeah, R.I.P. Robin Williams. What what a genius. Yeah. What a guy. Um, Ugh, my heart. My heart. The genie, yeah, that's a really good movie as well. The genie is the best Disney sidekick. Um, yeah. It just is, and I think... May, I don't know, maybe I'll think of one, but, like, it's probably the most memorable in pop culture as, like, a Disney sidekick who just stands as just a figure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also... And I don't know how true this is, but there's, like, the rumor that Robin Williams basically improv all of the genie... Like, they didn't give him a script, or they gave him a very loose script, and they were just like, you know, have fun. Have a good time. Yeah. Um, which I think is part of the reason why the genie is such, like, an iconic character is because there's something so genuine about him. Like, in all, mm-hmm. in a lot of Disney characters, like with most actors, it's a role, but I think the genie is so much just, like, Robin Williams in a, like, a different appearance, um, which makes, which is one of, I think is probably the primary reason why the genie is such of an iconic character. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Friend Like Me, a brilliant song. Holy World, we'll listen to it on repeat for hours. It's Mm -hmm. so good. Yes. That, yeah, yeah. that movie, I think was also very funny, because it was recently with that movie, it was a bunch of people had only recently discovered that like this the opening song which is problematic used to be more problematic in like the theatrical release Mm. um and it was a bunch of people just recently i had known that but a bunch of people just recently discovered it so it was all over twitter for like two days and then it disappeared but it was very interesting to think about like that movie definitely i think that it is like the opening to it remains problematic but that's kind of one of the very few complaints i've heard about that movie and -hmm. i'm sure that there are other complaints but it's like it is nice to have a disney movie that has most of its complaints like centered on one thing instead of just like generally around because a lot Mm -hmm. of disney movies like the problematic things are scattered throughout um and i think aladdin's unique in that it's kind of all isolated into one area of the film yeah I will also say one of my favorite Star Kid musicals, um, based off of an animated movie, is Twisted, which is based off of Aladdin, and it's just so fucking great. It's very funny, mm-hmm. uh, and it's very like in Disney slash Pixar tradition, very like self referential. Um, like the kingdom that like uh, Ahmed, the guy that Jasmine sicks the tiger on, is from the kingdom of Pixar. 
Um, and he has a whole musical number. Um, probably one of my favorite quotes is just like, he's like, why is there blood on my ass cheeks? <laughs> it's great. Um, so yeah, watch Twisted if you haven't. It's mm-hmm. very fun. It's like they try to, they do Wicked, but with Aladdin for Jafar. It's yeah. Great. <laughs> and I they're like- very clear about the fact that they're doing Wicked, but for Jafar. Because, like, the yeah. opening shot of the musical, Jafar is holding the book Wicked. Wicked. He references it. <laughs> he's like, they think he's, she's responsible for all the kingdom's problems, but she's just green. <laughs> um. <laughs> also, the opening I- number to Twisted is great, because it's like, it's a reference on, like, kind of the weird message that Disney has about, like, if you just believe in yourself, it'll happen. Um, but also it just opens up uh, doing a little bit of a parody of the opening number from Beauty and the Beast, but instead of saying bonjour, all the villagers just go, fuck you! Um, repeatedly. It's great. <laughs> uh, I've never seen um, uh, the musical you're talking about, which I'm about to say Wicked. It's Twisted, right? That's Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, I almost said Wicked. I don't think no, I know what Wicked is. Um, but I've, from the movie, I really... Jafar has always been a villain. I find I really like it. I don't know why. Um, he is kind of not a memorable villain. Uh, he sings no song except in like stupid reprise. But like, come on, that doesn't count as a villain song. Um, and he's just kind of there. But I always thought he was really funny, and I just can't articulate why. But he's, I always was just like, you're cool. No, he's absolutely. Are you projecting Iago onto Jafar? No, no, I'm talking about Jafar. Like I g- remember Iago. Um, mm-hmm. because I th- Iago said random things at random times in the night was a kid, and I thought that funny was funny. But I think, mm-hmm. like, Jafar's just, like, monotone, just kind of, like, drawing out of everything yeah. he said, and it just always caught my attention, because everyone's, like, so animated, and he's just standing here. It was just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's, like, the most deadpan of all the Disney villains. Mm-hmm. He's just, like... Yeah, and he... The Sultan does kind of read as a little incompetent, so I can understand why he's constantly frustrated by him. He's like, why the fuck do we have a hereditary monarchy? This is bullshit. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, that's, it's a really funny movie. I was gonna say, branching away from even American animation, my favorite film of all time is an animated movie, but it's from Studio Ghibli, because if, Woo! you know, if Americans stop talking about American animation, they're gonna start talking about Studio Ghibli. Um, but I really love um, Spirited Away. I think I saw it for the first time in my middle school art class. Not because we were, like, studying it, just because my teacher was like, we're watching this movie today, and my whole class kind of just agreed and went along with it. Um, but it is... I think one of the things that's really interesting about Studio Ghibli movies, which I only noticed after watching My Neighbor Totoro, which I think is probably the most blatant example of this, um, is that unlike a lot of American films and American movies where it's like kind of one continuous story, a lot of Studio Ghibli feels like vignettes, kind of like instead of one mm-hmm. continu- overarching story, you have a bunch of like smaller vignettes that are have that do have a fl- through line, but kind of have their own like arcs within them. Um, and I think that that's a really cool thing to watch, and it just makes the whole of, um, it makes the movie very interesting and very different from American movies. And then also Spirited Away, I really appreciate, because each of the character designs is so completely unique from, like, every other character design, which means that even, like, the background characters and the spirits, they're all, like, very distinct, um, and very, like, it's clear a lot of thought was put into their animation, which just makes for this overall, like, very visually stunning movie that is Mm -hmm. um, so much fun every time I watch it. Yeah. Very cool. 
Studio Ghibli films, if you've never seen a Studio Ghibli film, I suggest you watch one because, like, they have a lot of really um, iconic films and they're all, mm-hmm. like, very well animated and, v- like, very good examples of quality 2D animation. Yeah. All right. I got to step away for a minute um, to go do something. But y'all can vamp, right? Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Cool. Talk about something interesting. Bye. Okay. Cool. Oh. It's just, it's, we're alone. No Caroline supervision. No. Um, talking about, just to mention another part of a movie that, like, gets, the, the end of Toy Story 3, um, I think is a really good example mm-hmm. of how you can use animation that's in the very incinerator. What? Is that, no. That's the incinerator, right? Not referring to that one, referring to the very last shot of it, oh, when okay. all the toys are sitting on the porch of Bonnie's house, and they're waving goodbye to Andy, and they say, um, and... Woody goes, so long, partner, and then the studio starts sobbing. But then, not that part, it pans up to the sky, and the sky mm-hmm. is filled with the clouds from Andy's room. And that breaks me, because they that is the best extended metaphor I've ever seen, because, like, as a child, like, his room was, like, his world, and so that through there, but now that the clouds are in the sky, it's, like, a big metaphor, he's going to college, and the whole world mm-hmm. is now, like, his room. And that breaks me every time, and I, people don't understand my love for that one choice um and i really think whoever decided was like let's put the andy's room clouds in the sky should win a million dollars for making (laughs) me sob yeah i think i really i don't think i appreciate the toy story franchise as much as i should but Mm -hmm. i think knowing that the first toy story movie was like the first completely cgi um 3d animated film and then because I think if you look at that movie, you can't tell that this was completely uncharted territory because it's such, like, a clean, well-done film and the animation. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, I think, if you're looking at the first example of something, it looks kind of janky and kind of messed up. Yeah, sometimes up. it's painful to come from, like, the yeah. future and look back. And you're like, I know I should be yeah. appreciating this because it was the first, but I, it's painful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think I've never experienced that with Toy Story because it's such like, except for Sid, who is animated, yeah. <laughs> I think he's intentionally animated like that. I don't think they accidentally made a character look like that. But Sid, like even now, I look at him and I'm just creeped out because he's animated in such like a creepy, weird way. But everything Terrifying. else about that movie is so clean and so well done. And then Toy Story Two, a movie I don't think gets as much love as it should, is such a good movie. Like, I love Toy Story 2, and I especially love the amount of, like, the aliens played such a big role in Toy Story 2, and I love that. I love that they were like, you know, a kind of throwaway side character from the original movie? The aliens. You know who we're gonna make kind of really integral? The aliens. We're just gonna, we're gonna go hard. What the fuck did I just walk into? Toy Story. Toy Story. You know how in Ah. Toy Story 2, the aliens, like, play a really big role in the climax, despite being kind of throwaway joke characters up to that point? And in Toy Story 3, they just, like, keep coming back. (laughs) The aliens are the deus ex machina of uh, Pixar movies. They are. They're trying their best. I love them. No, I love them. I love that they were kind of, like, throwaway joke characters, and then they're like, no, we're just here, and we're a big deal. Mm Mm-hmm. I think Toy Story, the whole franchise, is really admirable, excluding Toy Story 4, and not because I have a problem with Toy Story 4. I actually think it's a very good movie. 
Um, like I watched it last summer and I like laughed and I was like, this was an enjoyable movie watching experience, but they didn't need to make it. They shouldn't have made it because they ended it so freaking well and they didn't need to have an existential crisis thrown in there. Um, but I really love the original three toy stories. They made the story for like when the kid, the target audience were like the kids who were really little when the first one came out and then they were growing up. And so by the time the third one came out, they were going to college. Um, and mm-hmm. that and them and being able, I think being a I like the third one just breaks me and I haven't gone away to college yet but I just imagining growing up with these and seeing that in the theater as you're getting ready to go to college like that I think would is such an impactful thing to yeah. do well yeah. then I would posit I would argue that Toy Story 4 was necessary because what is Toy Story 4 if not the inevitable quarter life crisis that every 20 <laughs> something goes through in college where they're like what the fuck am I doing with my life shit and I understand that but I, I understand that, but Toy Story 3 was it, but I, Toy Story 4 was like a joke for forever. People were like, they're going to make a Toy Story 4 eventually, ha ha ha, and then they made it. <laughs> Isn't there going to be a fifth one coming out yes, at some point? Yes, probably. They are making a fifth one. It's going to be the midlife crisis. What? Nobody's I going to get a Ferrari. <laughs> I also think it's true that I, I think with Toy Story 4, kind of in reference to Toy, like, the original three Toy Stories were kind of made for the same group of, like, the same overarching group of people, is that, like, I think with Toy Story 4 and with passing the toys on to a much younger character, it's clear that they're, like, restarting the franchise in a way. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that they're trying to be, like, now we're making it marketable to this new group of kids. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's probably, like, I think you can probably separate, like, the Toy Stories into something that was made for people a little bit older than us but like close enough that we are in like the generation of people who grew up mm-hmm. with that era of toy story and now they're making like a new era of toy story but i was gonna mm-hmm. say i kind of have similar feelings about necessity with how to train your dragon 3 like it's a really mm-hmm. beautiful movie and i appreciate it but i think it is like hiccups arc is kind of done by sto- like one and two because you see, like, all of the things that he had issues with in one mm-hmm. are resolved by the end of two. He's become confident in himself and himself as a leader specifically, and that's kind of all the character issues that they bring up in the first movie and get resolved over those two movies. And then the third one, it's like, yeah, this is a cool story, but it doesn't really, like, it doesn't feel as connected as the first two feel. Because the first two really do feel like the same story, even if they take place five years apart. But the third one is, like, kind of completely separate off on its own. Um, yeah. Which makes me kind of sad. Because I think, mm-hmm. as much as I'm glad that they made a third one, and I'm very, I was very excited to be, like, returning to the world of How to Train Your Dragon, um, I just, it didn't feel as much part of the, like, franchise as a whole. Yeah. I will say, um, I watched How to Train Your Dragon. That plot kind of stuck in my brain. Saw the second one, didn't remember a whole bunch from it, and then I saw the third one really recently, and I gotta say, I did enjoy it. I can't speak to how well it was connected to the second one, because, again, I don't remember much mm-hmm. from that. Uh, but I do, I did very much enjoy Toothless just being a total idiot, trying yeah. to get a girlfriend, because, like, mood, mm-hmm. though. Like... <laughs> Yeah, you know, I drew a thing. Look at the thing that I drew. It's for it's for you. It's you. I did an art for you, and she's like, "Oh, you fucking moron." Um, <laughs> it's so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think it is. It it is a good movie, and I enjoyed seeing it. It's just it was interesting to me because it felt different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that. But mm-hmm. also, I grew up reading the How to Train Your Dragon books. Like, Mm -hmm. I watched the first movie, and then I read the books, and then I watched the second movie. So I have, like, a very... I have a very close connection to the How to Train Your Dragon franchise. I think I've been in it for a really long time. 
Yeah, I think I read a few of the books, and I just never got fully into it, or I just forgot the next time I went to the library. Um, but yeah, I was surprised when I read the books, because they're a lot like... I don't know. I don't know how to say this in a way that's, like, nice, but it felt a lot kind of... It, it wasn't as pretty as the movies, if that makes sense. Like, it yeah. was a lot kind of more, like, scruffy. Yeah, I think it's also... I always took it as the hiccup from the movies and the hiccup from the books weren't the same hiccup. And yeah. they kind of undercut that in the third movie because they changed things. Um, but it was, like, hiccup in the books. And I believe the books were, predate the movies, but was, like, hiccup yeah. the third. And his great-grandfather was the one who had introduced dragons. So I was always like, oh, the movies are kind of like the prequel of showing how dragons and Vikings came together. But, yeah, the books are a lot more just kind of, like, wild and all over the place. And they, yeah. like, fight some Romans at one point. It's very, like, chaotic and weird. And I, I love the books because they're so... Like, each book is completely its own plot. And just, mm -hmm. they go in a hundred different directions. And I found that very funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. What are... Oh, there was a movie that I keep mentioning. But if we're gonna dip back over to Disney. And a Disney movie that I think does not get as much love as it deserves. But Treasure Planet Ooh, is... Yeah. Speaking of, like, yes. Disney, or animation really hitting its peak, I think an animated sci-fi movie was such a smart move on Disney's part. Genius. And, like, mm -hmm. the whole film is so beautiful and so emotionally intense. Um, and I keep, I keep forgetting that it's a Disney film because it doesn't feel like a Disney movie. Yeah. It feels mm -hmm. like just, it feels like an independent studio just made an animated film. But it's such, like, a well-done thing. Um, yeah. And I, I love it so much. Disney I'm did not, that movie yeah. so goddamn dirty in production um i'm mad about it um because they were like basically the reason that hercules has like so many pop culture references crammed into it as it does is because they were like okay so you've made these other successful movies for us so you'll get to work on your like passion project treasure Isle uh, treasure planet uh if you make us some more successes and they were like fuck it i guess we're making hercules now so they were like we have to make this marketable we have to make sure this sells so we can make our movie that we really want to make and then Disney, what, like, when they released it, basically, like, spoiled the plot in the commercials that they released and, like, released it, I think, at a really inopportune time, so no one went to see it. So it mm -hmm. bombed at the box office, but it deserves so much better because it pioneered a lot of, like, blending 2D and 3D animation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I will say, um, I, about, you mentioned Hercules, and that is a movie that I really like. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I'm, the music in that is fantastic. Yeah. And I think it's one of, it's interesting as... A Disney movie. They recently made it into a musical um, that mm -hmm. was done last summer in New York in like Shakespeare in the Park, um, and I've heard it was amazing. Um, obviously, it was like done there, so like you can like easily access it. Um, but I think it's always been one of those movies where I always found like the the music would cut in. And I'd be like, this is this has like music in it, like, and I think yeah. the muses are so. Muses in that are amazing, and yes. the songs. And I can't say I'm in love is one of one of mm -hmm. I think my favorite Disney songs. But it just is so weird in that animation style to see these great songs, and it's kind of this like cognitive dissonance. You're like, wait, I I'm not expecting this, but here it is, and I don't mind it. Um, I yeah. watched Hercules quite a few times. I'm starting to realize. <laughs> yeah, Hercules is is good, and I do enjoy it. I'm not trying to knock mm -hmm. it. It's it's very good. Meg is probably one of my favorite characters of all time, and the muses are phenomenal. Um, but yes. Yeah, I've, I don't think I've ever seen Hercules all the way through, but I have to say, um, 
Hades' design and, like, the whole yes. blue-red thing that they mm-hmm. do with him is, like, very interesting, and I appreciate it every time I see it, because it's, like, it's such a cool... I think Disney does a lot of really interesting villain designs, but I really appreciate the Hades villain design. I think that that's really well done. Yeah. Such and a not good, to bleed over. Yeah, villain. not to bleed over too much into our Greek mythology episode, um, but... It's so funny watching it and knowing stuff about Greek mythology because you're looking at it and you're like, LMAO, like Hera being a loving mother to Hercules, I have to laugh. Like I, I have, have to laugh. What a gag. What a joke. <laughs> what a haha funny. And I think what was yeah. something else interesting about Hercules, it's it's based on Greek mythology, but it stands completely different. It's not, like, I think kind of in a current discourse that's going on about, like, Hamilton, it's like, Hamilton is not a history lesson. It is a musical based on history. Yeah, it's and I think in the same way that Hercules is not a Greek mythology story, it is, a, it is a musical movie made by Disney that is based on Greek mythology. And I think it's mm-hmm. very similar. And I, I always find it funny when people like talk about it and they're like, "Well, after the movie, Hercules goes and does this." And I'm like, "No, he doesn't. This is an inti- this is not Greek mythology, Hercules. We've clarified yeah. this. Hercules is just this dude, <laughs> and he's totally different." Yeah, Hercules is someone completely else. Doesn't have the weird life that actual mm-hmm. well, yeah, not actual Hercules, but Hercules from misled. Yeah. Man. Um, and I mean, mythology is malleable. It it changes and fluctuates as society changes and fluctuates, and that's kind of one of the things that's really cool about it. Um, so yeah, I like appreciate the adaptation, but it is just so funny being like, oh man, I don't know. And like, I don't know. I feel a little bit robbed because we didn't get Disney's take on Persephone aside from I think like a, she was like mm-hmm. maybe a there there was a design for her, but she wasn't like involved with it. So I would have loved to see that, but yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. good shit. It's an interesting movie. I mean, Disney was like, we're going to do Greek mythology, like, retelling with music and uh, Hercules, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Like, we're they're also like, going to make an like Oedipus joke in the middle of it, because, you know. I love the Oedipus joke. <laughs> like, wow, I thought I had a messed up life. This Oedipus dude. And I was like, yeah, that's funny. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Greek, Greek nice. tragedies really do be like that. <laughs> um, they really do. And it's great. Yeah. That was probably one of our the favorite plays we ever read in creative writing, just because, like, I knew the, the ending, um, and I think I've brought this up before, but I'm gonna say it again, because it's one of the funniest things that's ever happened to me, but someone was like, oh, what is Oedipus famous for? Like, what did he even do? And I was like, well, namely his mother, and people were like, huh? Yeah, that's kind of Oedipus. <laughs> I think, thing. yeah, because I remember that's how we spoiled the then... ending of Oedipus Rex for a bunch of uh, my classmates in freshman year. It was that, but then I also think immediately after you said that, I was in the area and I was like, what did you guys think the Oedipus complex came from? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. just another guy named Oedipus it has nothing to do with this story. Uh, that was yeah, very Yeah, quick funny. question. How many fucking dudes named Oedipus do you know? That's right. None. <laughs> That's for a reason. Yep. Like, I bet the name popularity of that just dropped to zero the year after that play came out. Like, oh, fuck. Can't say it anymore! Oh, you'd be made fun of so much if your name was freaking Oedipus. Yeah, and especially with, like, the importance Greek people put on, like, prophecies and whatnot. Can you imagine being like, yeah, we're just gonna name... Like, being a mother and, like, having Oedipus come up. It's like, fuck, that was one of our favorites, but I guess we can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Shit. Um, I, I, want, I, I want Disney to make a follow-up to Hercules, not about Oedipus, but about some random kid named Oedipus in the <laughs> to same time period, and, like, just, like, that, and Hercules just, like, making a cameo. It would but be Disney's first R-rated movie. <laughs> but I, I want the muses to narrate that story of this kid named Oedipus. 
So it's set yes. in the same universe that we can get the music narrating it. <laughs> oh my god. No, I just, Oedipus, the, like, main character walks in to see the play Oedipus at the same time as Hercules, and it's the same time Hercules is going, ooh, shit, glad that's not my family. Oedipus's face is just dropping the whole way through. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. They do, like, that slow, like, the movie drop where you, like, they do the line of color receding from someone's face. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's one it's of like, my oh, favorite no. things in animation. Okay. Wow. Oh, I another... I a horrible idea, but... Um, but I'm referring no, to it's the a good I idea, and you with, should do it. It's in the universe now, so yeah, yeah. Wow. Another oh my God. great made-for-TV animated movie is the Phineas and Ferb movie. I that movie has a special place in my heart. Uh, the Across the Second Dimension, because again, the only thing that's different between the two universes is that in one Doof is incompetent, and in the other Doof is competent, and that's it. And it makes a completely mm-hmm. different universe. Uh, and I think that it's it's just a really funny, well-made movie um, that I enjoyed so much as a kid, and I enjoyed the last time I saw it, which was more recently than that. But yeah, yeah. I think that it's... I, I generally don't really like alternate universe movies. I think that they are... A lot of times they're done in ways that it's just like, well, this is kind of like a cop-out. Um, but I really appreciate that one and I really appreciate Into the Spider-Verse because I think that they do very funny things with the idea, the concept of alternate universes. Yeah, Phineas and Ferb in general is just a great show. Like, the the songs from that, mm-hmm. I will still bop to. I have the, like, Phineas and Ferb like, volume oh, one no. album on my phone. It's very good. You frust some... No. No. Oh, this no. happens sometimes. Oh, well. <laughs> well, the podcast people will know what I'm talking about because I haven't frozen on the recording. So... Yes. You know, it'll be it'll be overlaid you talking and then beneath it Shelby and I discussing the fact that you're frozen. Yeah. Oh, it's gonna yeah. be great. It's gonna be so super fun. Fun so things about fun. doing Skype call. It's a yeah. behind the scenes mm-hmm. look at the production of our podcast. In case you guys forgot that this is done on Skype, um, you know, we live to remind you of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think um, of other animated films. Go ahead. Uh, just another anime film that I really love is it's the Pixar. It's Inside Out. Um, Inside Out mm-hmm. uh, makes me ugly cry, and uh, just like multiple times, yeah. and there's a part Bing Bong makes me cry. But when sadness, yes. when they realize the importance of sadness, I'm gone. Like just um, I was on an airplane watching it once, and my mom looked over like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "No, just tears." Um, and I think that's a very beautiful movie. Um, and I think it, I like. I think it's a really important, like, message for kids to see of, like, you don't have to be happy all the time, um, and there's time mm-hmm. for being sadness, and there's time to be anxious, and there's time to be upset. Um, and I think that the, it's just done, and I remember going to see it thinking, oh, this is gonna be, like, a fun movie, and I was like, oh my god, this is not, it's, mm-hmm. it's a fun movie, but it, there's how creative it was to have these emotions um, by these different people, and just sadness, uh, I think. Not, I feel like saying sadness is a character I resonate with sounds very sad, but just her, like, when she just gets to be with, like, the rest of them, and it's like, oh, it's okay to be a little bit sad sometimes. I think just, oh my god. Also, I love thinking, like, what is the main one of the little emotions running my brain, and it's definitely fear. Like, there's no way it's not fear running my brain. Um, but I just, that movie just kind of mind-blowing way to think about life um, because now I think of my brain being run by five little cute people who represent different feelings. That would be an awesome way to do a Brendan question. I'm going to make a note of that. Um, 
I don't know which one would be running my brain. I don't think there's an ADHD emotion. Um, yeah, I don't know. Whichever one would, like, be the most likely for someone to point to and go, oh, you fucker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a Pixar movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in that very appropriate way of, you know, cursing each other out. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think another animated film that I saw, probably, I was definitely not the target audience, but when it came out, I dragged my grandfather to see it, is when they did the um, animated Winnie the Pooh a couple years ago. <gasps> before Christopher Robin, but there was, like, there was that animated Winnie the Pooh that came out. Yes! And it was, like, again, it was a movie that was very clearly, like, an homage to something, but it was an homage to, like, the artwork in storybooks. Um, and I've loved Winnie the Pooh since I was very small, but I saw that movie and I was like, wow, this is my childhood in a movie and I love it so much. Oh my god. Yeah, I, we you... had all the Winnie the Pooh movies from, like, the first one up to, like, the, the very recent ones, like the Heffalump mm-hmm. one. It was so good. We watched them on repeat. I love Winnie the Pooh. That movie that you're referring to, Eli, I, me and my mom quote it to each other on a regular basis, um, especially the, like, I cannot not 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 who's there, and then Piglet being, I cannot not, but I can tie a bow, um, and they're all stuck in a pit, and it, it, I have the CD of that. I know every single song by heart from that movie. It was a huge influence on my childhood mm-hmm. thinking of that movie. Um, and I don't think it's talked about enough, really. I think a lot of these movies we say aren't talked about enough, but definitely are somewhat talked about. Mm-hmm. No one talks about that movie, and I don't understand why they don't. Yeah. yeah. Just to clarify, so when did this animated Winnie the Pooh movie come out? Because I feel like I know of a different one. I, I don't think like 2011? I want to... Okay. I want to... Um... Let me find it. Yeah, so it was, I believe the one I'm thinking about is the 2011 Winnie the Pooh film. So we would have mm-hmm. been, or I guess maybe that would have been, we would have been the right age for that. Um, But yeah, I saw that movie and I was like, oh, now I feel things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we had the one from like maybe the 50s or 60s with like the very first Winnie the Pooh movie. Um, And yeah, special place in my heart. Um. And it is such an homage to, like, storybooks, and when they use the letters Mm -hmm. as part of the story, and the narrator, like, talks with Pooh while he's walking around, and letters fall on their heads, and there's something really magical about that, and, like, it's just really magical. Like, I want to live in a storybook. Yeah. Yeah. We should all get together and watch the Winnie the Pooh movies. I think we might still have a few of those DVDs kicking around, hopefully. I think Um, I definitely still have the... VHS tapes of the Tigger movie and Winnie the Pooh's Grand Adventure. Like, those I'm... two movies, because I watched them religiously as a kid. And yeah. I definitely have the 2011 one on DVD, so it's, it's gonna be a party, y'all. Yes. <laughs> a bunch yeah. of high school um, seniors watching Winnie the Pooh. Yes. That's My brother, I think, was a lot more into it than I was, Um, so he had the little, like, stuffed animal of Pooh, and then I had the stuffed animal of Tigger, which is appropriate, again, because I feel like Tigger is the one that is coded the most as, like, socially awkward kid with ADHD. Um, admittedly in a very different expression than what I've got, but I think it was just nice that we kind of predicted it in that way. Um, so yeah. I mean, I've had this, which is a little Eeyore, since I was, literally I've had him since I was born, like, all 17 years. Um, yeah, Eeyore's always been my favorite character, and I think, again, it's like that is most socially coded as someone who struggles with sadness and, um, struggles with depression, and I think, it was the thing that I love the most about Eeyore is Eeyore is consistently used in the stories as a way to be like teaching kids to that sometimes people need comfort in non-traditional methods and mm-hmm. that it's okay to not seek like the same type of comfort as your friends. 
Um, and I think Eeyore's just such, like, a well-written character, and I love him so much. And also just, like, the fact that this a character who is a donkey can somehow be, like, the most adorable just yes. e- thing that exists is very good. Yeah. I feel like a character that we don't talk about often enough is Kanga, though. Like, she's mm-hmm. just fully a single mom living in the Hundred Acre Fort. Like, that's so good. Yeah. Like, what a- queen. Queen shit. And um, I was uh, recently rereading some of the old like actual storybooks because we have mm-hmm. a little collection of f- it's like chapters but they're in their own teeny tiny little storybooks uh and it's when they first meet tigger and he's going around trying to figure out what tiggers like to eat uh and there's this line mm-hmm. that's like you know kanga kind of looks at him and she treats him with kindness because she and i think the quote is like she could tell that tigger needed the same kind of kindness as rue or, mm-hmm. like, he wanted kindness just as much as Rooted, and it was, like, a really sweet moment of, like, yeah, there's this, like, awkward, kind of socially awkward person who's maybe interacting with people in a different way than yeah. you're used I to, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't person. treat them I feel with like empathy I, just like, the same, and, like, some people act a little more childish than me, others, and that's that okay, you just need to treat them with kindness. And so, yeah, that was very sweet. How he just walked around just so content with just being Winnie the Pooh um and just all the cute little lines he said but there's some there's one of my favorite is a line Winnie Mm -hmm. the Pooh has so many good quotes said by like Winnie the Pooh um and one of my favorite is I I am not Mm -hmm. lost however I do not know where I I do not know where I am how so but I'm not lost however where I am may be lost um, and it's such a little tongue twister of a quote, but it's also nice to think of like, oh, you might, you're might you not lost. You just are trying to figure out what's going on. Um, oh, Winnie the Pooh, just really my childhood was. And now, I think just me, Winnie the Pooh, one and the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I That movie got me. Um, and yeah. I think, mm-hmm. I, because it's not animated. And I, I would say, say it's not an animated movie, but, but I fully, the voice fully almost started crying when I saw so Christopher Robin. That film I did cry. Was like, got me. Oh my god. Delicious. And I think it's also, I really appreciated that movie because it's the only Winnie the Pooh movie I've ever seen that, like, acknowledges the fact that they are canonically, like, They're stuffed so animals. Mm-hmm. Because it's, like, every movie, it's... Because, obviously, in the storybook style and all of that, it's, like, they don't acknowledge that they're stuffed animals. But um, I just really appreciate that they were Um, very clearly stuffed animals, and that was still, like... But they can still go on these adventures, and they can still be these very iconic characters, and I appreciated that. My heart. Yes. Another... This is maybe different, but, um... Not the, like, 3D animated Dr. Seuss, but the old, like, line art Dr. Seuss movies that were, like, 50 minutes long... And I th- I'm thinking of, like, the original uh, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, like, mm-hmm. um, 2D animated. That's such a good, like, thing to watch. I It's the only Christmas thing that I still watch is the, like, 2D animated Amazing um, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Because it's such, like, fun. That movie scared me when I was a kid. And I have Grinch, not watched it in years. Um, You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch, so remains that, like, one of Grinch the best songs in animation terrified. of all time. Yeah. 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 Okay, so icon. we talked a little bit about stop-motion Halloween movies earlier. Mm-hmm. Eli, what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on stop-motion Christmas movies, like the Rudolph Red-Nosed Reindeer movies um, and whatnot? I mean, I think I never got as into them, because I've just never been as into Christmas as I am into... Ho- like, Halloween's my favorite holiday. I think I probably need to preface with that, is that, like, mm-hmm. I appreciate Halloween-themed stuff more, because I appreciate Halloween more. Um, I mean, I watched them all when I was younger, but I think mm-hmm. I wouldn't... I would... I still go back and rewatch like stop motion animated Halloween stuff. I don't do that with Christmas anymore. I don't feel the need to. Mm. Um, so I guess my opinions are I like them and I liked them a lot when I was younger, but they don't hold that same like very special place in my heart that stop motion animated Halloween movies do. 
Yeah. I don't know. It just takes me back to, like, ABC Family Marathons back when I used to watch those. Very mm-hmm. good. Um, so, yeah. Those were fun. Those were fun. Mm-hmm. And I remember... I still remember really liking the, um... Not the 2D... Like, the 3D animated, um, Horton Hears a Who. Like, that was very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, just generally, like... I like the 3D animation animated Dr. Seuss movies. I think they're fun. Um, and I also love that after the, um... <laughs> like, Jim Carrey Cat in the Hat movie, which was live action... Dr. Seuss's widow was literally like, no one can make any more live-action versions of his books. You can do animated and that's it. I'm not having that happen again. Um, which is fair. Yeah. I would say that the live-action Grinch movie is, like, it's not It's not a good movie, but I have a similar relation to it that I yeah, do with like Troll 2, where it's, like, it's objectively year. bad, but subjectively, I just have yeah. such a good time watching it, it because I yeah. they fully leaned into, like, the feral um, side of the Grinch, which I really appreciate. Some people. I don't know if that's true, though. Yeah. Yeah, they did with Benedict yeah, Cumberbatch. Yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch. I don't it's like animated. that one as much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've only seen it once, and I was also not paying super close attention. I don't remember it being religious. It's just, like, the Grinch is funny because he's a bastard, because he's, like, a rude person mm-hmm. who is rude. And they kind of really toned that down with this mm-hmm. Grinch. It, it's, like, he's not scary. Like he's, he's not literally, mean. like, what's it? If, Decker, like, the live-action Grinch went way into feral, this one went in completely the like, opposite direction, and I think it lost kind of the core of the like Grinch a, in that way. What's it, like, just, mm-hmm. like, a little sautéed portobello sandwich? That's not the Grinch. He has freaking arsenic sauce on him. Yes. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> he would actually yeah. kill you if you yeah. met in an alleyway late at night. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I, I, I can't follow die. if anything um. is going to be witty or clever. Um, I just leave <laughs> yes. everyone with that image. I, I can't yeah. add anything to that other than yes. Correct. <laughs> you just win. You won, Caroline. <laughs> Good, I win the episode of Hey Nerd. You know, the 10th episode, I've finally done it. I've finally defeated it. There are so many life. animated movies that you just don't think of. Yeah. Like, there are just, there's so many. Revel in your victory, just, my friend. It's oh, insane, really, just how many <laughs> I just gonna never get brought up. really thought about. Like, I hadn't thought about that Winnie the Pooh movie until Eli just brought it up, and now I just can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. Wow. They're, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Because they're just so ubiquitous, and just, like, despite having all of this work put into them, I would argue probably more work than a lot of live-action movies do, because you have, like, not only voiceover, but, like, obviously animation to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're so ubiquitous throughout, like, yeah. I think a lot of people's childhoods, and have been since, like, Rubber Hose. And, yeah, it's just, like, you just completely forget about these things until you see it, like, years later, and then suddenly something's unearthed. Yeah, I think it's also true that, like, animated movies kind of they get a bad rap because animated movies are inherently like assumed to be for children mm-hmm. i think like live action movies they get off easier because you have live action and it's like oh this is this is something that kids can have live action movies and adults can have live action movies um and i think that's one of the reason why you see animation kind of get shafted to the side a lot is because it is like it's assumed to have a very specific target demographic even when it doesn't and even mm-hmm. though there are, like, a lot of, or especially, I think, more and more recently, you're seeing animated movies come out that are specifically for adults, and they're still mm-hmm. getting that same kind of, like, they're not treated as being as valuable as a live-action movie, even though, like Caroline said, a lot, I think, mm-hmm. more work goes into them, and especially back when it was, like, hand-drawn 2D animation, infinitely more work, because you have to do frame-by-frame frame 
shots instead of like just turning on a camera not to say that acting is just turning on a camera but it is it is a lot less not every single frame has to be planned and and done individually the trees are already there for you yeah um then in animation you gotta yeah. decide mm-hmm. where are you placing the tree in the background and is it going to be a little bit more to the left and how is that going to impact how this shot like there are so many things to you think can about make there's props so many people who work things. on an animated film um and it's there's it's when you just watch the credits of an animated film and it just keeps going and all these people at all these roles um it it's just i i always find it just like amazing mm-hmm. yeah and that's yeah. And I will argue, I think, like, having animated films kind of in, like, this kind of realm of, like, being for kids, with, like, a few major exceptions, the only, like, big, like, ah, this is for adults, no kids allowed, like, animated movie I can really think of is, like, Sausage Party, and I remember that mm-hmm. was, like, not the best movie ever anyway. Um, but I think, like, having animated movies be in kind of this realm of, like, being for kids, it also allows for people who do like animated movies, who are like out of that demographic, really do earnestly love them, and there is kind of a place for that kind of earnest enthusiasm that I think maybe isn't present I for a agree. lot of other movies. I totally agree with like that. I would much rather talk to like a guy who's like super into like Winnie the Pooh than I would talk mm-hmm. to a guy who's like super into The Godfather, you know? Like, yeah. and like that kind of love of just the love. Of labors yeah, of I love agree. is something should, that I think is I think, really precious and, and valuable, yeah. and I don't mm-hmm. think, like, gets enough credit. So, yeah. Adults yeah. who like animation, you're not weird. You're just, um, wholesome. Yeah. I was thinking also, there's, like, I don't know what it's called, but it was it won the Academy Award. It was, like, there, someone did an animated, like, um, biopic of Picasso, which was really, like, was apparently really good and was either up for an award or won it. Um, and it, I think it was another movie that, like, you didn't hear about because it was an animated film, but it was apparently, oh no, not ESET. It was apparently, um, like, a very good film. And so I think it's, like, there's a lot of unpioneered land in animation for, like, mm-hmm. telling stories like The Godfather, <laughs> but I, doing it in animation. Because I think well, you can, say, in, even um, in things like, that are very, I really love in live action like, movies, would work in live action, there's always doing, something new you can um, explore. Like within animation, which like, I think is really little portion of it. I'm, yeah. One I'm thinking like, of is in Harry Potter yeah, and Deathly Hallows Part One when they tell the story of the three brothers in the really beautiful animation, and I think that that's also. I think it's territory. Maybe more movies are becoming more mm-hmm. comfortable with doing little things yeah. like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I always and I think that kind of cross genreing with mm-hmm. animated and live action going together is something that is just so cool and can be explored so much more. Yeah, and I think like even with the kids animation that you see today, there is still a lot of room for adult themes to be discovered, even in stuff that's marketed at kids. Um, like this isn't a movie, but with Avatar: The Last Airbender, like the TV mm-hmm. show. Um, like, there were a lot of kind of heavier themes that are explored, like, you know, kind of what is responsibility in war, like, is pacifism always the best option to choose? Um, like, what is the impact of awful parenting? Like, how do we deal with guilt? And all these things that are still pertinent to, like, a much older audience, but they're explored, I think, in a really interesting way because it also still has to, like, be okay for kids. And I've seen something that was, like, the, um... Like, the best versions of the Joker are the ones where it's, like, in a movie made for kids, because then you can't just, like, have the Joker mass murder a bunch of people and call that a day. Like, you have to get more creative with it mm-hmm. um, to, like, get the same kind of point across, which I think is really interesting as well to contemplate. Um, just, like, mm-hmm. having to kind of work with kids and not go to, like, immediate 
grimdark grittiness, um, I don't know, it lends itself to some really creative problem solving and thus very creative storytelling as well. I think it's also, like, what's interesting, I would say, about, um, and I think probably the people who did this best are Batman villains, is that, mm-hmm. like, you, animation allows you to get to that same really dark kind of horrifying place, but you don't see it in the same way. I think yeah. that, like, animation, one villain who I always like better animated is Scarecrow, because mm-hmm. they never go into, like, what Scarecrow actually, like, what that actually looks like in I've only seen him in one real, like, live-action Batman, but his abilities and his fear toxin and, like, the ability to cause you to hallucinate things is so much better done in animation, and I think also just, like, I could write a whole love letter to Batman animation, but it's every single Batman villain, I think, works better animated because all of them aren't meant to be mass murderers. They're meant to be, like, these very specific characters who are interesting not because of, like, why they want to murder, but because they have this, like, very cool, witty yeah. persona that they put on that doesn't <laughs> really, isn't yep, utilized nope. in live action, I think, as much as it should be. Yeah, like, they're, we like them for the gimmicks, not mm-hmm. for, like, the crimes. Yeah. Um, and the people who do like them for the crimes are, again, people I don't generally <laughs> want to talk to. Yes. Um, like, like, I just, you know, there are certain people, like, I'm sure The Joker is a very good movie, but I'm not sure I would trust anyone who said that it's their favorite movie, because I'm like, you probably took the wrong thing from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Like, yeah, and I can't speak much on, uh, like, Batman villains. I will say that I have watched all of season one of Batwoman from the CW, because Ruby Rose is in it, uh, and, like, Batwoman is, like, canonically openly gay, which is great. Um, and they do have, like, Scarecrow doesn't feature, but they do have a point where... Um, like, a, a character has, like, they use the toxin as, like, mm-hmm. a basically a form of torture, uh, and that shit was scary as fuck and not in a fun way. I think animation mm-hmm. allows simultaneously both for, like, greater suspension of disbelief for, like, oh, that looks like it could be physically possible, or, like, oh, that's, you know, that's how that person's face can look, even though most, like, in real life we couldn't be that expressive. Um, and there's also a level, I think, of, like, not only leaning more into the story, but there's still the separation between you and the story where it's like, okay, it's just a drawing. Like, it's and not other gonna really come things, get I me. Mean, like, it doesn't enter into the real world and of, like, horrific abuse or torture. It's just, like, um, because it's I've there. I've like, attempted to do that, that a few times. And necessarily, like, it's always to feel like it's I'm a totally different, um, just a totally different arena than writing for live action because once you get access mm-hmm. to animation... You can do anything. Um, and I think there's so many ways of, like, I love, like, little, like, thought bubbles in people's heads and stuff. Um, and stuff like that. Or you can have, like, a little heart, like, pop up places. And being able mm-hmm. to play with that, um, there's just such a different level of storytelling that you're able to unlock. It's like a little game. It's like, okay, I learned how to have to do it with, like, yeah. subtle facial expressions and dialogue and maybe yeah. a symbolic thing. Now I can do whatever I freaking want and just make something. There's just so many ways you can use animation, which I think is just very, very cool. Animation, good idea by mm-hmm. animators. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to exist yeah i think another thing kind of in that same vein is what's very cool about animation is that you are able to and i i really appreciate um especially you see this in western movies but you're able to have like very unique character designs because Mm -hmm. it's like you can have characters 
Uh, and a great example is Phineas and Ferb, because no one in there looks even mo- moderately anatomically correct. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, it's very fun to be able to do, like, just these really crazy, wacky character designs that, like, as a, in real life, awful, horrific. But on, like, in animation, you can have these really fun designs um, that make for very interesting, just, like, things to look at. They're very, like, pleasing to look at because all the characters are so, like, visually distinct. Yeah, like, when kind of putting animation or, like, putting kind of animated characters into live action, like, with the live action Scooby-Doo movies or with, like, I don't know, other general examples, um, like, getting certain elements to carry over, like, the talking dog just doesn't work the same. Like, it doesn't work as well, in my opinion, um, because it's mm-hmm. not that same suspension of disbelief that's present, so it's like, okay, so, like... Daphne and Velma now look like they have bills to pay, and yet there is still, like, this fully talking person, like, dog that's just there as well. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, I think, like, the tendency to, like, oh, live-action reboots are immediately better is, like, no, like, there's just some stuff that works much better, like, drawn or, like, kind of sculpted, um, Mm -hmm. than it does in real life. Mm Mm-hmm. Yay! I mean, I also, my problem with live action reboots is that so many of them are such obvious cash grabs <laughs> that it's like, this mm-hmm. doesn't, this doesn't, I think that was my problem when they, Disney started its string of these live action remakes, um, including The Lion King, which Shelby and I have made fun of on multiple occasions. Um, mm. But it's, it's, you're not, I think so rarely does a live action reboot add anything to the yeah. story, and it's and like so clearly just something to get those songs back out there and get parents to bring their kids idea. to the movies, and um, then because it's, I think it's not I fun think because you're not doing can do anything well as the animated movie, and I think yeah. it can do well on the stage, but I don't think it can be done, because I think in the, on the stage, in a, in a similar way to animated films, no. there's this suspension of disbelief of like... You, if, if people come on screen on a stage with like a puppet, you're like, I'm gonna believe that's a dragon, um, or something. But like in in a live action film, you you don't do that. Yeah. We're not trained. Mm-hmm. I said we're just not trained to do that live action. We're assuming to see the dragon, um, and just I d- don't think a live action Hercules yeah. sounds yeah. fun because we don't get the muses as statue heads in um in. I won't say I'm in love or them like on like yeah. the Grecian urns and all that. Um, and I think Hercules is really one of those Disney movies for me that I always thought could only work in 2D animation. I didn't even think it could work yeah. in 3D animation. It's like um, the Emperor's New Groove for me is another one. They have yeah. that is the medium they have to be in. And I'm like, why are we taking it out? And we're going to, and just that, that one, learning about the Hercules one, the other ones I expected, but I really didn't expect them to do. Hercules live action seemed kind of random and a little bit heartbreaking. I think it's yeah. also because Hercules, like you said, it's so... I think some Disney movies aren't super dependent on their art style. I would say, like, Snow White, for example, I don't think is super dependent on its art style. Like, yeah. it, it, it is just something that happened to be animated. But, like, Hercules <sighs> is so dependent on its art style that to take it out of that, no. I think you gets, you lose something of the movie. And I would say, like, another yeah. movie that I think you could never do a real-life version of is Bambi. Like, if they ever did a real-life version, I'd be like, no, it's oh, not, no. you can't, because it's like, that has to be an animated film. One, because it would be infinitely more horrific if it was real animals, but then also because it's like, it is so, the thing that keeps it from just being something that's very mm-hmm. sad is the fact that it's animated and that you see it through this kind of, like, 
very thin veneer, but a veneer that keeps it so that it it doesn't hit something that's, like, too dark or too gory. Yeah. I think the one thing we have to thank Tom Hooper for after his 2019 fiasco is that I don't think Disney's ever going to try to make an Aristocats live-action version. <laughs> um, I don't think that's a possibility. I don't think Disney would look at how well Cats did and be like, yeah, you know what? We're going to leave this one the fuck alone. Um, and I think that's another example of, like, I think Cats maybe could have worked as an animated musical, but I don't think it should have worked as, like, quote-unquote live action, because I think, speaking to what you said earlier, Shelby, like, with plays and stuff that's on the stage, there's a version of what goes on with animation where you kind of enter into it, like, kind of signing a contract, like, I'm going to pretend this is real and engage with this, and I'm going to use a different part of my brain to engage with this than I would if I were watching, like this actually unfold or watching this live action in a movie like you I would kind also of, argue there's though, a little bit of audience participation work on in that the stage like, and they, okay well and this stage is mostly empty but like you know i can kind of see that this is where a table's meant to be and like the stage where, production you know, like, would be fixed by putting it on a big screen i think and i'm like with the, the issue with the cat's musical to begin with <laughs> is they made a musical out of a book of poems meant for a child and then had overly sexualized human cats thought it would work well, the problem with Cats the Musical is that it doesn't have a plot. <laughs> yeah, it is. It was still a phenomenal success, so I think that for at least a few people, it did work. Well, yeah, um, I think that Cats yeah. Cats is a success because it's a lot of good music that you forget the fact that it doesn't have a plot. But I also, my thing is, m- musicals don't translate well to movies because you cannot have a music... A, de- you can't have a movie that is as dependent on music as a musical is. Because, mm-hmm. like, the whole of Cats is just, like, one musical number after another. That's kind of the whole point, is that it's, they're putting on a performance. Um, but I think my other thing is, I personally think Cats the movie could work live action <laughs> if they had just gone with, like, the regular stage, like, the way that the yeah. cats look on stage and just done the actors like that. Everyone would have been like, this is fine. Um, but the fact that they were like, no, we're making photorealistic cats while still having them be anthropomorphized, um, yeah. that's where they like, shot themselves in the foot, is when they were like, we're gonna do CGI on these actors. Yeah, and, like, they, the really horrific thing is when, like, most of the actors were, like, typical cat colors, like, Tabby and Calico and whatnot, yeah. and then they had Idris Elba, yeah. and he was just, that's his skin. That's just his skin tone, but with fur on it, and that's very deeply unsettling to me. Um, that is what that man looks like in real life, but they just turned it into a fur color. That's not good. But I'm also, like, laughing at people who are like, maybe they'll fix the issues with cats, because (laughs) if you've seen, like, Joel Schumacher's 2004 Phantom of the Opera, which is the other thing that, like, Andrew Lloyd Webber was involved with, Andrew Lloyd Webber does not want you to reinterpret his work when you make a movie of it. You- the Phantom- like, the 2004 Phantom doesn't really work as a movie because, like- it just hews too close to what's right, going it's, on, it's and it doesn't really allow for any, like, fun breathing room or reinterpretation. It's just, like, Andrew Lloyd Webber micromanaging his musicals, which mm-hmm. is, like, not something one should typically do. I mean, yeah. I would say Cats also was doomed to fail the moment where, instead of moving their release date, they released an unfinished version of the music. Yeah. And, like, I think at that point it was just like, oh, it's over. Because they were getting people going to the film to try and catch before they finished their editing corrections. Yeah. Yeah. 
that was very funny when they were like, yeah, there's just some moments where straight up the animation and the actual person aren't in line, so you can just see a human hand and a cat hand next to each other, and I was like, oh, great, I'm so glad that this exists. Yeah, and, like, from what I can tell, like, people who were fans of the musical <laughs> Cats went to see the movie and kind of got what they expected, and then people who hadn't had any experience with Cats beforehand went to see it and were completely horrified, and it's like, no, that's just what happens. I mean, like, it also started the phenomenon of uh, a bunch of people getting really high and then going and watching it, which I think is, like, the proper way to consume that movie. Yeah. So, I would argue um, that that's a medically inadvisable way to consume that that's movie. That's thing. Why? <laughs> like, I don't think you Why? should take anything that's, I'm like, for remotely mind-altering. Yeah, I think Cats yeah. is the drug on its own. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Why? Yeah. Yeah, I think we'll leave off with that. Yeah. We'll close Fuck this- you, Tom Hooper. This week with why. Um, okay, I will very quickly do just a short version of our outro, because we're at two hours. Uh, yeah. links in the description to the timestamp document that's always there. Um, we will have our- Oh, thank you to Sasquare Noise for Tile Defense Editing, which is our outro. We are available on most of the places where podcasts are distributed, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And um, anyone who wants to sponsor us, please, our email is haynerdpodcast at gmail.com. Send us an email, Blue Apron, HelloFresh, ExpressVPN, anyone, small businesses, large businesses, DreamWorks Studio. Uh, and if you, our listeners, want to tell us anything, just in general, just want to give us some information, um... We welcome any email that's not from Anchor FM because that's the only person who really wants to get in contact with us, apparently. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, again, like, listeners, send us an email. Uh, share the podcast. Tell your friends. Leave a good review on iTunes, please. Uh, um, or leave uh, a bad my, review, my I guess. Twitter. I can't really control Twitter, the quality of said review. But leave a review so that iTunes um, knows we yeah. exist. And that's um, Shelby, Shelby, do you want to link a, your 14. socials in the description? Or do you wish to remain anonymous? Yay. Okay. Oh my god. Alright. Shelby's edit. 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 Shelby's <laughs> Alright, hit it. Ending Maybe. now. Maybe.